does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Well, James Boyd, the last time you set your alarm for whatever time <laughs> it was set this morning was when? I can't even remember, honestly. It might have been a, a drive home to see the family or something like that, but usually I'm like, hey, I'll see you all whenever I just get there. So, Not for work purposes is what you're saying. No, not for work purposes. This reminds me of getting up for like basketball practice before school or you know <laughs> trying to get some extra work in and get on the coach's yeah. good side mm-hmm. okay let's uh we'll, we'll do a three-on-one drill here and uh <laughs> get back in a fast break situation we do have a half court uh basketball uh, court down in the basement if you want to get some uh shots up here after the show uh, good wednesday morning to you that is the voice of james boyd from the athletic i am kevin bowen mark dykton is with us as always and before we get any further in today's show um, our best wishes to the Sweeney family. That would be Andy, of course, and his wife. I cannot imagine the life events that they have gone through over the last now month plus. First off, obviously, Andy taking this job here and uh, him and I with the wake-up call of KB and Andy that you guys have heard now for, I, I guess, close to a month they also just moved here permanently to the Irvington area. That move happened 48 hours ago. And then last night at about 6 o'clock, we're sitting there on our front porch. It's my wife, Max, Rosie, and I having dinner. And Andy calls me. And James, I, I don't know if you're this way, but like anytime someone calls you that you're not used to calling you, you're like, oh, shh, Nike. So uh, Andy uh, alerts me that... Uh, his wife is heading into, I, I, I think, be induced. I, I, I'm not 100% sure on if that happened last night or if it'll happen today or, you know, certainly they're going to take a look um, at her situation. But she is in 35 weeks, is in the hospital right now up at a community, and I hope everything has gone as smooth as possible as they welcome their first kid into the world. So, James, if you needed any more reason um, to listen to our conversations in the media room and just uh, take in birth control that way, you can probably hear about the Sweeney <laughs> story and, and, and think that can add to it. But no, in all seriousness, definitely, you know, prayers up for their family. Hope everything goes smoothly. He's a great guy. I met him a few times in person. So excited for him and his family to obviously get to the other side of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, knew, I knew something was up because you called me yesterday. I know. And I was like, Kevin never calls me. Usually we're just texting. Yeah, especially at that hour. It's yeah. like, you know, 6 7 o'clock. That's peak like witching hours, I feel like, for the Dyketon <laughs> and or Bowen family there. So um, I know Andy, uh, he kind of had a long tweet thread last night about it and certainly rooting for his wife big time and uh, mentioned that the baby is kind of close to like six pounds. So I guess that's some good news. You know, when you look at a 35 week delivery, that obviously very early. So we will keep you posted on that and hope that everything um, goes as seamless as possible for the Sweeney family. Again, good Wednesday morning to you as you walk to your car on this Wednesday morning. It's going to feel crisp, it's going to feel <laughs> a bit fall like. Uh, I think that's very welcome. Stephen Holder going to join us at 8, and Michael Lombardi at 8.30 from ESPN. I think we'll get a little bit into the Jets situation with Michael Lombardi, former NFL GM. You know, he was the one that was on the other end of the Trent Richardson 
Colts trade back in 2013. So running back trades, uh, he's the one that I guess you could look at fleece the Colts uh, if you want to look at that (laughs) 10 years ago. I guess we're kind of approaching the 10-year anniversary of that now that I think about it out loud. James, let's actually start there. Um, You surprised at all? We didn't see anything more of substance from the running back moves yesterday for the Colts? I am, but we'll see what happens later this week. But I, I think they have to get someone, right? I mean, at this point... With I figured it would be yesterday, though, because they get back to practice, practice today. Yeah, but... <laughs> I said this about the cornerbacks at the beginning of the season. Is it a, just a built-in excuse where they're like, hey, you know what? Probably weren't going to be this good this year anyway, so let's just roll with our rookie quarterback and see whatever happens because... He gave him a chance. He was not running for his life like other quarterbacks had last season. So I guess you feel like you know he was put in a position where he wasn't in harm's way. Now he has to get down on some of those plays and, and slide, which we haven't seen yet, KB. Um, but I, I was a bit surprised. But at the same time, like I said, I think that they're looking at it or could be looking at it like, hey, you know, let's you know get some experience for our rookie quarterback. See what else we got on this roster, and you know, if we don't win a lot, who cares? And I'm not going to come out and say that, but. That's the vibe that I'm getting if you're not going out and get somebody because, I mean, you don't have any options. Yeah, you know, the the vibe I also kind of got yesterday, James, by the lack of moves because all we saw was Evan Hall, the rookie, go to injured reserve. So he's going to be out for at least four games. Jake Funk gets brought up from the practice squad to the 53-man roster. Uh, then they swapped out running backs on the practice squad. They had Jason Huntley go off. They brought in Tyler Goodson, kid that ran at Iowa a couple years ago. Obviously, nothing of substance right. in those moves. I My assumption is Zach Moss is going to be the starter on Sunday, right? He's got to be. He's got to be very close. I know that you know Shane Steichen said, oh, he's progressing, which becomes a theme word, I guess, for it's either you got a little injury <laughs> or, or, or you're progressing. Yeah. And so I Not think a lot it's, of detail from right, Shane. it's probably smart from him or some gamesmanship there, but he has to be ready to go because, you know, if he isn't, what are you, I mean, Jake Funk, Deion Jackson going to be your starter after what he just did this past week? I, it has to be Zach Moss, right? Yeah. And I don't know if this is like, we just watched one of the worst running back performances in franchise history, so maybe like our bar is so low that my intrigue all of a sudden is there. But I am kind of curious what Zach Moss is going to show. You know, late last season, James, and obviously a season to forget, and late December, early January last year, the furthest thing on the minds of Colts fans or us covering the Colts was like, oh man, Zach Moss had a 100-yard game. Like, he, he had a career high for what it's worth in the season finale against Houston. You know, he will see Houston coming up on Sunday in all likelihood. You know, Zach Moss is a former third-round pick. Uh, he is in a contract year. He never really got a true opportunity in Buffalo. I'm sure you could make the argument that he never maybe earned that opportunity because not like they have had an abundance of running backs next to Josh Allen over the years. When you traded Naheem Hines to Buffalo last fall, Zach Moss in the fifth round pick is what you got back in return. And again, he did have you know three or four decent to notable games to close out last season broke his arm early in training camp has been out for six weeks um he at least has a resume and at least is you know again he was a third round pick i mean that's decently high for a uh for a running back so um, i am somewhat curious heading into sunday of okay if this is the guy for the next three weeks what does he look like and then of course once week four gets here and gets done that's when the jonathan taylor storyline becomes sizzling hot again absolutely i think that it got a little bit hotter after week one. You see a lot of 
voices shift from, oh, we can just replace that guy to, oh, my gosh, we need him. If we had him, we would have won. But I looked into some of the advanced stats. I know you know people might not be the biggest analytical you know group out there, but the advanced stats basically said that Zach Moss, while he's not JT, he was serviceable in that role last year when JT went down. That's basically all you need. Yeah. Like, the Colts... Mm-hmm. You need competency. Yeah, you didn't have competency it, there. Exactly. I mean, when you have 25 rushing yards by your collective running backs, that's not going to cut it. I know that Shane Steichen mentioned yesterday, um, you know, or or, the, or actually on Monday, that, yeah, we um, had 65 rushing yards. And, you know, we got to get better at that. And I wanted to tell him, like, yes, because 40 of them came from your quarterback, the guy who – you know, is very talented, but you don't want to put so much on his plate to the point where he feels like he has to make the Superman play. Right. And the guy that got banged win. up. Because of that, and mm-hmm. I think that was part of him being youthful and, and realizing, hey, you're like guy's a lot faster in the NFL, but also it's he's pressing. I need to do something because I don't have that support behind me. You wrote a great story coming off of Sunday's game, and I want to get to that here throughout the show's pretty much a minute-by-minute detail of what Anthony Richardson's debut was like. Uh, I really enjoyed the read just because I think it's a a unique way to look at what is such a monumental day for Richardson. There was also a a comment that he had post-game that I think should be encouraging for Colts fans. And I find myself walking away from Richardson media sessions thinking, boy, this guy does have a pretty impressive knack for, I think, acknowledging things that need to be acknowledged. And at times I'm kind of reminded like, oh yeah, he's 21. And and, and, oh yeah, there are only, you know, 13 and now 14 starts on that resume. Um, Do you think this is the most Indiana State gear that's ever been worn in the studio outside of JMV? It might be. That's I a mean, nice sweatshirt you got there. Yeah. Flash that for the for, for the YouTube audience <laughs> out there, okay? Shout out to Homefield for hooking me up. Um, Look at that. Yeah, I got a buddy that I used to cover in the region, Northwest Indiana, uh-huh. at Calumet High School, and he's now in Indiana State as a running back. His name is CJ and uh, CJ Cooper, and uh, he's a good kid. And I told him I was supporting wherever he went. So told him he was going to go Division One. Went to I think he did a prep year somewhere, and he made good on his promise. So that was pretty cool. Got the gear on early this morning. Yeah, I got my Larry Legend hat on here, so that's my Indiana State. I want to see the statue in person because I just feel like that that's something I have to get off the bucket list. You got to get a trip to Terre Haute in? There you go. Well, JMV would be all all over that. (laughs) If we have a chance today, might be a little bit later in the show, I do want to talk a little bit of Pacers with you. I know you obviously have a – cover the Pacers and Mm -hmm. have an affinity for the NBA. And um, I think you and I both were kind of into the World Cup a little bit. Yep. Uh, I always find it intriguing when you know all these guys get together to play internationally. I, I'm also you know kind of amazed at times, like man, these other countries can compete and obviously beat the United States mm-hmm. to the level that they did with the U.S. suffering what was it three losses uh, in their final four games there. And I was thinking on the drive end as well. I mean, we are less than a month away from the Pacers playing a preseason game. Like, yeah, I, I know it can get lost in the shuffle, but. You know, Tyrese Halliburton certainly is back from the Philippines. I assume, you know, he will have a relatively quiet training camp with how much extra basketball he has played here as of late. Um, but I do think it's a fun time for Pacers fans to have intrigue with this season. Uh, last year, you saw flashes of it. Um, and I do want to get to a little bit of Pacers because uh, they did have a guy in the World Cup and Daniel Tice take home the gold. I was going to say, maybe not the pace you expected to become a world <laughs> champion, but they had a squad. They had a lot of NBA players on that team. Dennis Schroeder uh, being the top guy on that team. He's down in Toronto, I believe. And I thought it was indicative of how the in- 
international game is played. It's more physical. You need bigger bodies. And all those ticky-tack, you know, just running there and yell, hey, you know, and the ref gives you a call. That doesn't happen in FIBA, which I actually like. You, you like the physicality of it? I do. Yeah. I do. I do think that the game, you know, I'm not going to go back to my dad's here and say, oh, it's soft. And, you know, you should be throwing elbows and Jordan rules and stuff like that. No. But I do get annoyed when you got guys who just literally run into somebody else and just scream. And it's like, oh, two free throws. Mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. happen in international play. And I do think by Tyrese having that experience and coming back over here, hopefully it kind of, you know, pushes him the ending, maybe frustration, whatever it is, drives him to really power this Pacers team into, you know, playoff contention. Do you do coffee? I don't. So this is just all natural for you waking up at this hour. Yeah, it's all natural. Trying to gut it out. I figured if I made it through college without coffee and energy drinks, I just would never probably go to it in life. Yeah, so I I was the same as you. I made it through coffee. I made it through the first, whatever, handful of years, maybe a little bit more than that, into my post-college adult life without coffee. And then all of a sudden, kids showed up in the Bowen household, (laughs) and coffee has become... For the most part, I'm usually just a one-cup guy. Um, I do think if like there is a prime time, like Thursday night football, you know, I might get to Thursday and we're at the complex. I'm like, all right, let's have a second cup of coffee because I want to watch Vikings and Eagles into Thursday night. There, uh, Mark, are you a multiple? I mean, I've got my cup of coffee, mine right here, and then yeah, there's probably <laughs> another one coming later today because three girls need a lot of energy. See, I haven't made it to that stage of life yet, and I, again, as I always tell you, I don't envy it. I, I love being the, the selfish <laughs> no. single dude. You just wake up when as you want you should, to, and- man. <laughs> Soak that five, up. Five kids between Kevin and I right now. So yeah, five under we're six up right like a, now. A partridge family bus. <laughs> we are. And again, uh, shout out to the Sweeney family. Hope everything is going uh, as smooth as possible. For those that missed it here, James Boyd is going to be with us throughout the show today. He got the call late last night out of the bullpen as uh, Andy and his wife uh, hopefully are going to welcome in their first kid coming up uh, at some point. Thirty-five weeks, so a little bit early. Um, but we've got great medical care and certainly great OB care here in Indianapolis. So a smooth process up at Community for the Sweeney family. Again, good Wednesday morning to you. Plenty of cult stuff to get into today. Again, uh, touch on James's story, detailing what Anthony Richardson's debut looked like. Uh, we'll run down what it looks like for the running backs as well heading into week two. Frankly, I think this is one of the easier games on the cult schedule coming up on Sunday, um, and I think the fact that they are a favorite is something that they probably deserve. I know your opponent has a lot to do with it. We also heard from uh, special teams coordinator Brian Mason yesterday, uh, in, in my opinion, that late punt in the game. That was the play that totally turned what could have easily been a week one win for the Colts. What happened on that play? What were the issues? We'll share that with you coming up as well. Thanks for tuning in. It is the wake-up call. KB and James Boyd filling in on 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, I've got an update from Andy Sweeney, boys, okay? Andy just texted me and said, and I quote, we're prodding along like a slow Big Ten team. She's doing well, and I will. There's a few other details in here that I don't think Andy would maybe uh, want me to share, but it sounds like things are moving in the right direction. I'm picturing like Iowa football here, okay? You know, Brian Ferentz and and the Iowa offense prodding along here. I mean, they looked pretty good to start the season, so maybe that is a sign (laughs) of things to come for Andy. So, yes, Andy welcoming child number one. A little early, a little bit of a surprise here. It's been quite the chaotic month, month and a half. But James Boyd, that's the voice you just heard. He is with us 
from The Athletic today. All right, in terms of a morning check down, last night was a great night for my Cincinnati Reds. That is a 6-5 win in extras. And if you look at the wild card standings, and it includes Mark Dykton's Cubs, the five teams above the Reds last night, all of them lost. I am a happy camper. Mark, apologies to you. Did Chris Bryant homer against his former team? Uh, I don't remember if he homered. I know he had like a two-run single, though. But despite the loss, the Colts debuted uh, – or Colts. The Cubs debuted Pete Crow yeah, Armstrong. Yeah, a lot of chatter about that, right? One of their highly right? touted prospects. He looked outstanding in the outfield. He was making catches left and right. So uh, despite the loss, some very positive vibes out of uh, Cubdom. What, what a PR spin by you on that one I want to get the shirt. There's a shirt out <laughs> that you would appreciate. It looks like the PGA Tour logo, but it says PCA Tour. Ah, it's very, it's very okay. nice looking. All right, all right. I do like that. So, yes, a quick little wild card update. Uh, again, Phillies up three and a half there in first. Cubs still up two in second. Arizona has that last wild card spot in third. The Reds are a game back. Marlins and Giants one and a half back. James, Colts news from yesterday? Well, obviously, we have Evan Hull going to IR, so he'll miss at least the next four games. Jake Funk moves up to the active roster. They did some swapping out on the running backs on their practice squad with, you know, some moves there. But I think the biggest thing is that since we didn't see any more big time Mm -hmm. headlining moves, it's that Zach Moss is probably healthy and ready to go. I know he's listed as running back number one on the unofficial depth chart heading into week two at Houston. Couple other injury items. I'll be watching for today, Colts. Obviously, Drew Ogletree, he suffered the concussion concussion on Sunday. I assume if he doesn't go, that means the NFL debut for fifth-round pick Will Mallory coming up on Sunday. Um, And then do we see any sort of limitation with Anthony Richardson? It didn't sound like it based off Shane Steichen's words on Monday. We'll hear from Anthony Richardson later today. But, you know, again, it was two lower body injuries. You know, Shane said he could have gone back in the game, although he did wake up on Monday with a little bit of ankle soreness. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. And then tomorrow night, Thursday night football. This is our first Amazon regular season game of the year for those looking for viewing options. Vikings and Eagles. I think the Eagles are kind of a heavy favorite in that one. Touchdown favorite last night. Is it all the way at Uh at a touchdown? Last I checked, that was yesterday. Uh, Justin Jefferson, obviously a huge game in week one. I know him and Darius Slay had a big-time matchup last season. So, yeah, the 1-0 Eagles hosting the 0-1 Vikings. That is tomorrow night. We don't do – oh, this is the week for Monday night doubleheader. Yeah. This is our first Monday night doubleheader? I think it's the first of two, if I'm not mistaken. I think there's – Are they punking an... us with these games for Monday night? Yeah, what I think is that's, this? I think that's why they're doubling up because the, the two on the slate are not very it's gotta good. It's got to be a misprint, right? Saints and Panthers at 7-15, Browns and Steelers at 8-15? Lord have mercy. And yeah, then, uh, be... yeah ne- and then the week after that, week three, there's another doubleheader. It's Eagles, Bucks, and Rams, Bengals. I mean, I guess we're getting Bryce Young. Yeah, but... I'll, I'll be flipping the channel and kind of coming back to whatever Twitter tells me to. But no, I'm not watching that entire thing. But good news is the Thursday night game is actually good. Yeah, yeah, Eagles. Yeah, I was gonna say Eagles Vikings coming up on Thursday night uh, again. It will be Fox for the Colts and the Texans on Sunday. We'll get more into that matchup on the other side. Again, James had great detail with Anthony Richardson's season debut from Sunday. We'll break that down. Get James's thoughts from the season opener. I thought two players. I'm curious James's opinion on this. I thought two guys that have very important seasons for the Colts. I thought they played pretty well on Sunday. It's storylines that I think gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, but at the end of the year, 
Um, I think we'll go back and, and look at these two and think, okay, how important are they are for the future of the Colts? We'll hit on that as well. Stephen Holder at 8, Michael Lombardi at 8.30 from ESPN. It is a glorious Wednesday here in Indianapolis. Thanks for tuning in. Wake up call KB and James Boyd filling in for Andy today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It is a wake-up call. I am Kevin Bowen. We've got James Boyd from The Athletic in today for... Andy, for those that missed it, the Sweeney family, a little earlier call than they expected, but uh, they are up at a community right now welcoming in kid number one. Little Gas, right, Mark? Isn't that what we're going to call <laughs> is him? That the, is that one of the names that was on the board for yeah. possible baby names? Andy calls himself the Gas Bag, so they're going to... I, Little Gas probably only works for a male, though, correct, on that? Yeah, I, I would hope so. Yeah, and, and that's one of those ones where I think the nurse will probably be like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, that's what here. is on the birth certificate, man. Um, so, certainly, all of our thoughts and good wishes to the Sweeney family. Um, again, thirty-five weeks is what his wife is. Certainly, a little bit early on that end, but a terrific medical care here in Indy, and hope that uh, they have a smooth process today. And thank you to James Boyd for getting that call last night and coming in studio with us. For about three hours. James, I thought uh, it was a terrific piece you did Sunday off of Anthony Richardson's debut, kind of a minute-by-minute look at everything of Richardson's arrival to the game, of course, his post-game comments, uh, all of that. Did you have kind of a favorite anecdote or a favorite observation from uh, you know what life is like for an NFL quarterback making his uh, NFL debut? I think... One, paying attention to him so closely was nerve-wracking because you're normally watching other things throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And I have like to tell myself, like, a big play just happened. Not what happened in the play, but what's his reaction to the play. But I thought when he was warming up and he was stretching and he went out there and there were like three cameras trained on him maybe like three feet away and you have to act like you don't see it. Or maybe he doesn't. I wrote it in the story. Maybe he doesn't because he's so locked in. But I just thought that that was – a level of fame I never want to get to because it was everywhere he's walking there's three cameras there's a boom mic there's something to pick up what he's doing and you have to deal with all of that plus actually play the game and so I thought that was you know very interesting to start off and then throughout the game when Deion Jackson was struggling he really made a concerted effort to go over there talk to him at one point he even walked down the sideline from where the quarterbacks usually sit and sat right next to Deion Jackson and kind of talked him up. And I thought that that was tremendous leadership by someone who is, you know, in his own right trying to navigate all of this, all of the pressure, all of the, you know, highs and lows of the game, you know, schematic things. And I thought DeForest Buckner hit it right on the head. He was saying, that's why we voted this guy the the captain of our football team. I thought – 
what was interesting about that statement was Buck didn't say, you know, we're all captains because there's seven of them. He was like, no, he's the captain of our team. I thought that was huge. You know, there was something that Richardson said post game that I thought kind of stood out to me. And I think when you like transcribe the quote and you put it in a story and, and people read it, it sounds like a very like basic elementary quote, like almost like a no bleep. But he says something to the effect of, you know, the question was, what was the biggest takeaway that you had from your first NFL start? And he said, you know, every play matters, every possession matters, every drive matters. And again, when you hear that, it's like, well, duh. But it was a reminder to me, James, of like, okay, he is only 21 years old. This is his 14th start since high school. But also, I think in the immediate aftermath of a game where he gets banged up, he has some highs, he has some lows, his takeaway is one that couldn't be more true because look at the play that turned the game. I mean, it was a bouncing punt that and we can get into this, the explanation of what happened on that play. But if you listen to special teams coordinator Brian Mason, basically rookie Jalen Jones just lost track of the ball, should have downed it himself as soon as that ball started bouncing. And all of a sudden, Jamal Agnew picks it up. And while... You know, several Colts players are kind of deer in headlights, losing contain. Agnew goes up the visiting sideline, and boom, it's a 50-yard return, and that was the jolt. That was the spark that Jacksonville needed because at that point, I don't think Jacksonville's offense was going 90 yards against the Colts' defense. And Richardson's comments, obviously he's speaking more from an offensive standpoint in that I think at that point, maybe the interception was the fifth drive. At that point, they had gone four straight drives with empty possessions, not even getting a first down. And sure, at Florida, they were 6-6, six and six, so it's not like they dominated. But you know, when you're playing, I mean, let's just look at Louisville and, and, and Indiana playing on Saturday. Okay, Louisville played Murray State last week. Indiana played Indiana State last week. You can overcome an empty drive or two in those games. In the NFL, you, you're playing with fire when you do that. So I thought that was just interesting perspective from Richardson right after the game. He's absolutely right on it. And those lulls, I mean, those are the things that you're obviously trying to avoid offensively because in those moments, you weren't giving any production. You were losing field position. You were putting your defense in awful positions. And eventually, especially against good teams, that's going to come back to bite you. Yeah, and Brian Mason, his comments about Jalen Jones losing the football and kind of losing track of where it was just validated what Jamal Agnew told the Jaguars reporters. And, oh, my God, Demetrius Harvey, who covers them for Jackson, uh, Jax.com, he – he asked him what happened on the play. He's like, oh, the guy didn't see it. I know he didn't see it, so I just grabbed it and took off. And so that's something that is a learning you know, uh, opportunity and something that obviously changed the game. And I thought that those are some of the margins we might see more of in this new age NFL or this new rule era where you're not going to get very many return opportunities on kickoffs. So if you do have that big punt, it changed games before, but it might change it even more now because you have less opportunities to have those return type of plays. You know, the other thing I thought about when the play happened and then more so after listening to Brian Mason yesterday, you know, that would be Ashton Doolin's role. You know, Ashton Doolin yeah. would be a gunner for this football yeah. team had he not suffered that season-ending injury. And a really good one. Back in training camp. And the other thing I thought, and again, hindsight's very 2020, and I think Jalen Jones more than deserved to make this football team. Oh, yeah. But Darius Rush was a guy that played over 400 special team snaps at South Carolina. Um, you know, I I probably have to double check the Jalen the Jalen Jones special teams history, but I am curious just kind of how far on the depth chart you you went 
in, in getting to Jones. You know, if you dress as a corner on game day, he dressed above Juju Brents, the Warren Central product. So, um, in general, I, I just think that punt team, and I know it's kind of weird. I mean, hell, we're talking about a punt. I mean, come on, Kevin. <laughs> but Rigoberto Sanchez, as Brian Mason said yesterday, he missed hit a couple balls. Like, when you're a team that is void of a ton of explosive talent offensively, and I think you're going to struggle to score 20, 25 points on a consistent basis, you can't have those lulls in the punt game at all. Um, anything else, just big takeaways from Sunday, whether it was Richardson-related, game-wise. Obviously, I've given my thoughts here the past couple days. Certainly, Andy did as well. Um, anything just uh, big-picture game-wise that um, you found interesting with Sunday? One, his celebration to score was insane oh my richardson's God. yes yeah, yeah, yeah. I, i'm captivated by it because it truly uh, is i would have torn both my acls trying saying, to do i was that. just like and, and and i think what was cool about it is and i have to ask him about this i don't think it was planned he kind of just made it to the end zone what would you and, call that like a 360 spike yeah and it was super cool in slow-mo and i was like wow that's something that's gonna be show for a very long time and how cool is it to be your first nfl touchdown and the weird part for me right now is I'm watching the Netflix series, the QB1 series, yeah. where he's really young. You know, he might be 17 and him I and his brother. I watched that as well. And I'm like six or seven episodes in. And so seeing him with like no hair and, you know, a slimmer build, but even seeing how much of a freak of an athlete he was back then, it's crazy to think that was just four years ago. Even Bryce Young is in that show as well mm-hmm. and seeing how much he lit it up. But just seeing the dichotomy and like how they grew up and you got you know bryce who's like you know all, all these different buses and yeah. taking oh, trips yeah. and yeah he's going to the elite of elite high yeah, school yeah and, and he's got the yeah. golden arm and then you got anthony who's like just kind of taking the more traditional high school route like he's not traveling anywhere he's playing the local team we want to beat this team that you know always beat us up and wasn't so, a quarterback initially at, at east side high yeah. exactly and so seeing him sort of grow up throughout the show and then grow up before our eyes over these last few months as the quarterback of this franchise has been really cool what is that official title on that show it's, it's something like qb1 beyond the lights i beyond think Beyond the lights that is yeah. yeah i mentioned that a few weeks back to our listeners i would encourage people out there that uh if they're looking for anything just you know background wise on richardson i know for you and i james we we've and you certainly did a great piece right before the season started on anthony's background and exactly what life was like for him before florida um, but I thought it was a great watch and just what he went through. And it's fascinating. There's three quarterbacks that are featured. The other quarterback, I, is he still at Iowa? I don't even know where he is. Um, but Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson are two of the three. And the fact that they were taking three picks apart, they're going to be playing each other coming up here in you know two months. Um, it's really, really interesting to me watching the background of each of them what their personal lives were like in their high school years, um, what their high school situation was like as well. Uh, Two very, very different backgrounds um, with each of them. So that is a good watch. I just, sorry to, uh, I apologize, but I just fast forwarded through the Iowa guy. Are you actually watching the Iowa guy? I watched it. Deuce, is that his name? Yeah, Deuce Hogan. He's now at Kentucky. Kentucky. Deuce Hogan sounds like a Kentucky. (laughs) So, can we get um, Deuce Sweeney? Should, should, we, should we name the Sweeney baby? <laughs> I mean, Deuce, Deuce is a good nigga. Sweeney, are we good with that? I think I think Deuce is solid. I don't know about the gas part, but Deuce is <laughs> <laughs> fine. <laughs> what do you think, Mark? As a nickname, or are we talking middle name for gas? <laughs> well, it better be a nickname. Oh, I want it on the. Uh, oh, on the birth gosh, no, please no. no. 
We might have to ask him later when he get, whenever <laughs> he gets back that what were some names that were on the list and what were some veto Maybe names. Eli, and, and he's a big Giants fan, mm-hmm. James. Mm-hmm. Oh. Boy, can you imagine all the stress level for Andy Sweeney over the last 72 hours? He's been, he's been through quite the roller coaster. Moves this weekend, moving literally the worst thing you could you can do. Uh, watches his Giants lose 40 to nothing on national television. Stomped, yep. And now here he is getting the call of, yeah, 35 weeks. It's time to uh, come in and welcome your first well, child. He came here. in Monday. He's like, well, I'm done. I moved. I'm like, well, you moved. We didn't unpack. He's like, that's true. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's only just begun. <laughs> right. There are multiple phases to moving. And then, again, you've got a month to enjoy. This is a far cry from having a beer at Chatham Tap like he was doing <laughs> when he was living in the Airbnb. Initially on that end. Again, James Boyd from The Athletic is with us today as Andy and his wife welcome in their first child at some point, we hope, today. Um, the Colts get back to practice. A little bit later. Again, for those that missed it from a running back standpoint, they didn't do a whole lot. It was uh, Evan Hall to injured reserve yesterday. Jake Funk goes to the 53-man roster from the practice squad. I'm assuming what that means is Zach Moss is good to go for Sunday. James, I feel like a lot of Colts fans, understandably, checked out late last season, so they might not have seen Zach Moss in a featured role. He started the final three games once, once Jonathan Taylor was shut down after that Vikings game. Zach Moss, I don't know how you feel about this, and I hope it doesn't sound too um, too creepy, but my sideline observations and watching Zach Moss, because the running backs at training camp, they usually do their positional drills right in front of us. I'm always like, that dude has absolute tree trunks for legs. Like yeah. he is a he is built to be a first and second down kind of power back. He's not overly tall. He's what five nine, five ten, but he is a power runner. You know, again, huge, huge tree trunks for legs. Do not think this is some scat back making guys miss in the open field. I think, honestly, his 40-yard dash time at the Combine was over 4-6 when he came out of Utah. Uh, But I would assume he will be the first and second down guy for you coming up on Sunday. And then, I I guess, Deion Jackson's in the third down role? It probably has to be. I mean, you don't really have many more options behind him. But I do think that Zach Moss... Like I said, looked at the advanced stats, did a story on it this morning on The Athletic. You can check it out. But he's serviceable. He's something you can put into your system, and it works, or at least it did last year for the Colts. And so I know everyone was kind of screaming, hey, sign JT and get it together. He's going to help us. But he's not necessarily the quick fix that you need. You just need something that's better than what you've had or what you displayed on Sunday. And I don't think anybody could have imagined that Deion Jackson would have been that bad, even with the rushing issues, the turnovers. Yeah, the ball security to yeah, me the- is more – it's – 10 cherries on top of an awful Exactly. And, and so you have three turnovers, two lost fumbles, interception by Richardson. It's hard to win a game against another team that has a dude who played, I think, pretty well and arguably had one of the best performances of week one of any quarterback in the league. Yeah, again, I, I want to stress that ball security stuff. You know, I asked Jim Bob Cooter about Deion Jackson's play yesterday. Uh, yeah, yesterday, Deion Jackson's play, of course, from Sunday. And he immediately went to the ball security. And if you look at it, there were two moments in the game, Deion Jackson's late first half fumble, where the Colts are going in for a score. They are, I think they were just on the edge of field goal range there. If you're able to make that 14-10 at half, you know, maybe even 14-14, again, who knows what happens from there. Then you come back in the third quarter, you're back at midfield. I mean, how many drives did we see the Colts just kind of stall out right at midfield? Jackson has a big second down drop where those are one of those plays where if he catches it, makes it third and four, now the whole playbook's open. Now it's third and nine, and you're kind of scrambling 
off of that. Um, I think from a running back standpoint, again, Moss to me, that would be the guy that's going to be the starter coming up on Sunday. Are you surprised, James, at all that we we are six weeks from Zach Moss breaking his arm? So you go back to that first week of training camp when he breaks his arm. Obviously, the Jonathan Taylor situation very quickly into training camp looked murky. I mean, <laughs> it, it would be foolish to think that Jonathan Taylor was going to be available or you know, there was a great chance he was going to be available early in the season. Are you surprised if we go back this last month and a half, the only really outside of the building notable running back move was Kenyon Drake? Like We haven't seen any. Yes, they brought in Kareem Hunt for a workout. You know, James Robinson here. And maybe that's enough. Maybe they view workouts as like, that's us getting our eyes on them, getting our hands on them in a private setting. We can see what they can do. Clearly, it was not enough to make any sort of signing there. But um, where's your level of surprise that in the last six weeks, Kenyon Drake is it, and they've rolled with what they've had? I am a bit surprised. And to me, what are you waiting for because I think that the biggest thing you have to do is make sure you keep competent players around Anthony Richardson it's all about him and his development and his ability to feel comfortable back there and while I think he showed a lot more than I expected honestly he looked way more comfortable than I thought he would be he probably would be a little more comfortable with the running back back there that, that is a little bit better than what they had, given that Zach Moss obviously had the injury, and then JT is sort of on hiatus. And again, he was not there in the building. Jelani Woods is on IR. He was there. So it's, it's not like you have to miss. I know this last season when Shaq Leonard was going through all the back issues, we saw him flexing and screaming on the sideline. Okay. Don't have to be Shaq, obviously. But we were all wondering, like, okay, how close is he if he's right. doing all this? So, For the most part, injured guys are there. I mean, I know Andrew Luck obviously wasn't through some of his stuff. Um, but yeah, for the most part, they are there. And that's something I think we can chat about with Stephen Holder coming up yep. here in, in about 10 minutes. Just his thoughts on the Taylor situation. You know, when week five rolls around, does Steven really think Jonathan Taylor is going to be playing for the Colts? I don't think he will. I don't think anybody of I mean And where's that dichotomy of like does Taylor feel like does Taylor's camp feel like he needs to play to prove himself elsewhere? Or is this feud so so high like he is just I'm not putting on a Colts uniform? Because if he's healthy, now we start getting into the fine situation. You know, right now Technically, he's hurt. He's on the pup list. The The Colts are agreeing with him for what it's worth and putting him yeah. on that physically unable to perform list. How much, if any, does that change coming up in week five? Oh, man. If they find him... I know. I think, that, I think that it's going to be, you know, NFL, PA, Players Association. Yep. They show up and It'll the situation be explosive. is just... Yeah, it, it's... Ding, 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 and we'll see what happens. And my life goes down the drain <laughs> for the foreseeable future. So yeah, like, I'm hoping for you know, I might take more of those wake up calls yeah, early. I might need some coffee on those days. Early in the morning. <laughs> One thing Richardson related, I'm curious about on Sunday moving forward now is, you know, when you. I remember looking down at the stat sheet at one point on Sunday, and I'm like, damn, he's 15 and 19. Like, this is a methodical, this is like a, it was mm-hmm. honestly not the Richardson I thought we'd see. I thought we'd see more of the, boom, here's a 28-yarder, boom, here's, you know, four straight incompletions, like things like that. We really didn't see that early on, but I think you can look at it one of two ways, his second half compared to his first half. Once they got, or I think once they tied the score, when Pittman scored that touchdown early third quarter, um, Richardson looked like a different quarterback to me the rest of the way. 
is that water finding its level? Like, was the first half the anomaly, and the second half was a little bit of anomaly as well, and it's somewhat in between? Or was that a, oh, bleep, we might actually win this game. Like, there's a little bit more of a bullseye on your back. There's more game pressure on your back. Those sorts of things. That is something that I'm kind of curious about. Because at the end of the day, his numbers were, yeah, they were they were decent. Is that... Again, water finding its level in the second half, or was that a moment in the second half where it's just a little bit of NFL pressure getting to him? And, and him and the offense in general, obviously. Yeah, I think it was more so the former where it just found its level. You can't expect him to immediately be the super accurate guy, someone who's going to have a high completion percentage, when that just wasn't the case in college. And I was working with better players you know, at this level, but he's also going against tougher defenses. So I thought it was a little bit of a mixture of both. I know we talk about pressure a lot with him, and I'm sure he feels it, but I don't think that he's a guy, it doesn't strike me as a guy who gets rattled a ton. Even after the big interception, obviously, that swung the momentum considerably throughout that game. Yeah, that pretty much ended it. Yeah, but on that last drive, it it didn't feel like, oh my gosh, you know, we're completely out of it. He took him down there and gave him a chance in the red zone to, to punch it in and make it a one-score game at the end. So, again, I think that he was fine pressure-wise. It's just how much can you expect from a guy who is, you know, not as refined as some of his predecessors. I mean, Andrew Luck was a guy who had a super, super high completion percentage in college, you know, first-team All-American. AR wasn't that. And so you can't expect that, you know, in, in one game. Now, he's taking strides in the right direction, but again, you can't expect it all, you know, to happen tomorrow. Can Stephen Holder going to join us in a few? Michael Lombardi from ESPN a little bit after 8.30. Um, let's get to Aaron. I know Aaron had a comment. I believe Chris Ballard related he wanted to share. Aaron, good morning. Good morning, fellas. How, how we doing? Oh, uh, I'm getting better, getting better. Hey, I had a, a couple of questions for you guys because it seemed like this narrative of Chris Ballard is working it through the media to the fans, and they're asking us not to see what we're seeing. And my questions are, if there was, out of the other 31 NFL teams, who would hire Chris Ballard as their general manager? You know, I don't think they would. I think of Dion and how he uh, does his uh, speech to the team. If Chris Ballard did a speech and actually his theme music, it would be John Mellencamp when the walls come tumbling down. <laughs> because that's exactly what's happening right in our face. It's like he's a scared, a real talent. And everybody talk about these draft picks he'd be getting it doesn't matter what you have. He's going to draft people from the University of Little House on the Prairie. Why is he afraid to get talent from the biggest conference like the SWAC? You know. Thank you, Aaron, for the call there. Little House on the Prairie. Was that a shot at the University of Florida? Kansas State football, North Carolina. I'm trying to think of recent colleges the Colts drafted people. Oh. Yeah, I mean to have gripes about Ballard. I mean I've said this since the off. I've said this since the start of the off season. Chris Ballard's resume through six years in the NFL would get him fired in 90, 95 percent of NFL organizations. Like I, I don't think there's much debate to that. Jim Irsay has always had a huge affinity for him. Again, he called him the greatest 
hire, GM hire of the 21st century back in 2017 when he made that hire. That compared obviously, him to MJ yeah, he last is, year. He has compared him to Michael Jordan, yeah, in that press conference. Um, yeah, that, that obviously couldn't be further from the truth six years into it. Um, but the leash has been extremely long. And I, I guess there's a little bit of like, we can acknowledge that, James, but you also have to accept reality. And Chris Power is not going anywhere. And I think this is going to be a multiple year operation where um, he's been offered kind of a rebuild with Shane Steichen and Anthony Richardson. And we'll see if there is a re philosophy. The draft would indicate maybe there has been. Free agency would indicate. Not really, because they really didn't do anything in free agency. The Taylor situation, that's the really fascinating one. Because you can look at that, look at that one of two ways and say, they are having this change of heart and saying, we're not paying running backs. And I know I drafted one in the second round in 2020, and indirectly I'm saying, we wouldn't do that again. Like, are they saying that here? That, that's Those are questions probably for down the road with Taylor. Um, but yeah, I think we can sit here and acknowledge that Ballard has certainly had a resume that's nowhere near lived up to any sort of hype created by the owner. Uh, but at the same time, you just got to live with it because he, this is where he's at and he's not going anywhere. Hey, if your boss likes you, that's a good thing to have for job security. That is a great, great thing. And he'll be have. forgiven if he hits on the quarterback. If AR becomes a star in the next few years, good point. all is yeah. forgiven. Yeah, it's one of those things where you know the six years of whatever narrative, whatever storyline is there with Ballard, it all goes away if Richardson hits and Steichen hits. Uh, but again, a lot of GMs don't get that chance. They don't get that That's long true. of an opportunity. All right, on the other side, Stephen Holder from ESPN. Does he expect Jonathan Taylor to play when Week 5 rolls around? We'll toss that to Stephen next. It's Kevin Bowen, it's James Boyd, and Mark Dykton here on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 7-5, The Fan. Now, Mark, your re-entries are always on point. This one here? Well, you said that Stephen Holder had a bit of a sore throat the other day, so if he's if he was he, gutting I, it out earlier. This I week. asked him if he was up for it. He said he should be good to go, but just in case, yeah, act like the man is on IR. He is fine. He was Let me clear my throat. He's I fine. thought that was appropriate for I, a reentry. Absolutely <laughs> tremendous per usual from Mark Dykton. James, I have gone to bed before, like on a whatever Tuesday, Wednesday night, and thinking there is no chance this voice is going to survive three hours. The next morning, actually bought off Amazon this like voice spray. That literally you spray in the back of your throat, and all of a sudden it's supposed to you know heal whatever. And I thought about offering it to Stephen Holder earlier this week. Uh, Stephen, how's the uh, how's the voice doing? You know what? It's it's slow going, man. You can, you can probably still hear that I'm hoarse. I don't know what it is. This is the most annoying cold in human history, <laughs> and I'm not like sick. I feel fine. I'm actually on my way to the gym. But I don't know what it is, man. I just I can't get my voice back right now. But that's probably for the better. 
So Shane Steichen will be happy to not deal with me, I guess, today. <laughs> James over here cackling. It's at like, a, do you want some uh, mysterious spray for the back of your throat? <laughs> just wait till you get to you know, Stephen and Isaiah. Anything, okay, trust me. I'm open to anything. Yeah, I was going to say, if Jonathan Taylor gets traded and Stephen is having to appear on SportsCenter endlessly for the next 48 hours, he's going to be scrambling here to find something. Um, Stephen, let's begin there. You had some reporting yesterday in that, it, and I want you to maybe kind of clarify that it sounds like the Colts are okay, or at least there's been a mutual decision with Jonathan Taylor of, all right, you come here and rehab in the mornings, and then you leave. Is that the same thing with him not showing up on Sunday to Lucas Oil Stadium? Like, the Colts thought you'd be a distraction. Don't show up? Like, how did that play out? That That's my understanding of it. So, I, I don't think they said those words, to be clear. <laughs> but, but, I, but I think they understand, there is an understanding that this isn't helping anyone. And so it was suggested that Jonathan Taylor do what he needs to do and, and then, you know, just go ahead and, and see himself out. And, and that would be fine. And, and Jonathan Taylor was obviously fine with that plan. So I do think that, yes, at, in the current state of things, that does appear to be the best course of action because, you know, let's be honest, uh, he, he still doesn't want to be there from all appearances, and uh, his status hasn't really been clarified. I mean, in the long term, I mean, uh, you know, they haven't resolved their issues, let's put it that way. And so, yeah, I, I think for now, it, it's what we said, you know, when they made this roster decision. It's, it's what we said then. They have basically bought themselves some time, and at some point, though, you are going to have to deal with this situation, whether you, you activate them and tell them to play, or you just let him continue to stay on pup. Whatever it is, uh, there will have to be decisions made at some point on Jonathan Taylor. But that's where we are right now. Steven, when you look at the situation, when you asked about it with Chris Ballard, you asked him, what is the plan? There wasn't a real answer to that. So <laughs> a few weeks later, do you feel like the Colts have a plan or JT has a plan that involves any sort of, you know, coming to an agreement? No, I don't. I really don't. And and that's the thing. I, I know there is a there is a thought out there, you know, among among fans and, and it's not wrong. There's one thought like, hey, he's under contract, there's there's nothing for the Colts to do here. He's gotta show up and play when he's healthy. And and that's totally reasonable. I get it. But I would also say we are where we are. <laughs> and and you have a very pissed off player on your hands who is is obviously putting up a fight. And so at this point, it doesn't matter right or wrong. Right or wrong is completely irrelevant at this point. It's completely irrelevant. There, here's what we know. They need Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> they 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 admit that Jonathan Taylor is a is an excellent football player. He would help their team right now. And so given all of those realities, what are what are your options and, and how do you get him back on the field? I, I don't know how you do it. I'm I'm just saying that's what we do know. And and the one thing no one has has talked about throughout this thing and, and one thing I don't hear even now is compromise. I, I haven't heard that. And and I think that is I, I said this to J and B the other day, I'll I'll repeat it here. I, I think if there's one mistake that Chris Ballard made here, possibly, the one possible misstep is that he came to Jonathan Taylor in, in May 
and and shared the team's position, which was that we we don't want to extend your contract this this off season or really before before next year. And I think that might have been the mistake. The mistake or the 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 option, the alternative might have been: look, right now this is where we stand, and we're open to something else. But but this is where we stand right now. Let's see where it goes. And I think had you taken that approach, you know, if you were truly honest about it, if you had taken that approach, you know, maybe Jonathan Taylor takes a different approach himself and coming to camp and being more willing to participate and, and having a, a different disposition. I think he probably would have. Um, I, I Maybe we end up here anyway. I don't know. But it, it certainly would not have slammed the door on the idea from jump. And I think that is what really – I think set the tone for all of this, and and that's really why they're here. Yeah, I think of the scene in The Wire where Weebe gets you know finds out that you know Kima is a police officer, and he has that look on his face where he look, looks around like, oh my gosh, that's kind of what I envisioned JT when they're like, hey, we're not giving you any money right now, and he just looks around like, oh no, this is not it at all. So, all of that in mind, what was your takeaway from that week one performance where obviously the running game consisted of Anthony Richardson and a whole lot of nothing after that? Well, um, it's what we thought, which is Anthony Richardson is their running game right now. Wait, they, so they couldn't scheme it all up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> as it turns out, you, you actually have to have a threat at running back uh, for the quarterback to, to really consistently be a threat. <laughs> so uh, it's weird how the NFL works. I mean, you know, people are smart enough to know you're not going to run the quarterback 18 times <laughs> in one game. So... Yeah, they're going to have to develop uh, a, a traditional running threat, and right now they don't have one, and and that's their biggest problem. Uh, look, I'm not suggesting that that they should run the the ball, you know, 30 times a game. That's not what I'm saying, uh, but but I am saying you you at least have to be able to get a yard when you need a yard. <laughs> I mean, uh, what are we talking about here? We're not talking about having a hundred <laughs> yard rusher. <laughs> We're just talking about on third and two. You need to be line up. You need to be able to line up and and get two yards. And, and that's the one thing I would say is that Jonathan Taylor, that is where he he was always great at. He was always great at doing that. You know, when the time came, uh, you his he did have some negative runs last year, but 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 historically, uh, he is not a guy who has negative runs and and always maximizes his runs. So if there's if there's a yard there, he gets a yard and a half. If there's if there's two yards, he gets two and a half. And and that's where in short yardage he would have been invaluable for the Colts. I mean, just think about how they converted a few more third downs. You give Anthony Richardson a fresh set of downs, and now maybe Shane Steichen can go back to you know some of those very creative. Um, formations and 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 some of the things that we saw that were very effective but I mean you can't do those things throughout the game you have to you know pull them out uh periodically and sometimes you just got to line up and play traditional football and so anyway the point is you, you got to be able to convert I mean the third and fourth down conversions uh, that was losing football basically I, I don't take the name and the, and the the logo off the helmet it doesn't matter if you show me those conversions after a game, I'm going to tell you, okay, that, that team lost. 
Yeah, two of twelve on third down, one of five on fourth down. Certainly inexcusable to say the least. Stephen Holder's with us here from ESPN. Stephen, I do want to go back to Taylor for just a second um, before we move on and you know close the book on the Taylor-related topics. Uh, three weeks from today, that is the first time Jonathan Taylor will be eligible to practice for the Colts. Coming off the pup list, he would be eligible that Wednesday, heading into Week Five. Based off what you know on September 13th, do you think he will practice and or do you think he will play in week five for the Colts? Wow. It's, it's, it's a tough one. I All I can tell you right now is that there's, there still appears to be a lot of, a lot of strife and, and hard feelings in that situation. Now, what I would also say, and I know this is a – not not a direct answer, but but what I would also say is, Jonathan Taylor, in my opinion, I think Jonathan Taylor needs to play some football at some point this year, and I just think you know, for regardless of what the Colts' plans are for him, um, he he wants to be marketable in the spring. Okay, whether you want to get traded, whether you want you know to 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 be a, a free agent and shop yourself. Uh, whether you know you want to force their hand if they franchise you, whatever you want, right? As, as Jonathan Taylor, whatever outcome you're hoping for, uh, you're going to be you're going to have a stronger hand if you've played good football this year. If, you, if your if your best football was two years ago, by that point, I don't think that helps you. So, as a long winded way of saying, Jonathan Taylor, it, it is there is. A point of view where it, it's in Jonathan Taylor's best interest to play some football at some point. Do I think he's still holding out hope of being traded? Yes. And so, you know, the date that you just talked about three weeks from now, there's still some time in between that and the trade deadline where he's probably hoping for for some kind of you know deal to shake loose. And I don't I don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, but even that, I, I think you could argue if that's his goal. I think even for that, you could argue he should probably get out there and play and, and perhaps entice other teams to say, okay, maybe this is a guy we do want. So anyway, everything Jonathan Taylor wants ultimately out of this, the best route to getting it might be to play. And, and that's maybe not what he wants to hear or admit, but that's, that's probably the case. The Colts player you were most impressed with his individual play on Sunday was who? Hmm. Um... That's a good question. Um, I would say, I mean, Zaire Franklin. I mean, I, I'm not surprised. Let me be clear. And 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 I hope you know this isn't people taking it like, oh, you're, are you just waking up to Zaire Franklin? No, uh, I think what it is though is is him taking his game to another level. Yeah. I mean, James we, and I were talking about know, that earlier. There, there were it yeah. wasn't just 18 tackles. I felt like there were a handful of really impactful plays, plays in space, not necessarily plays we're used to from him. That's right. That's right. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that, that I, I think we haven't talked about is that this defense, I think he's playing the mic in this defense, and, and the, the middle linebacker in, in this scheme is, is the playmaker. And so, you know, under Matt Eberflus, we see those plays kind of flow to Shaq Leonard. And, and this, is a, as I understand it, this defense is a bit different. And, and so it has really benefited – uh, Zaire Franklin, but but at the same time, you know, it's one thing uh, to be in position to make the plays, and then the question becomes, do you make them? 
and unquestionably he is making all of them. And and I think him making plays in the passing game, which is something I think came up as well in the last couple of days, uh, I think that is really another uh, another indication of growth from him. You know, because, you know, it's one thing to make the tackles when they come your way. Uh, it's another thing to anticipate those passing lanes and understand route combinations and and anticipate where that ball's going. And, and you have to do that to be an effective uh, linebacker in space in the NFL today. You know, there are a lot of guys who can go make tackles, but what's your impact in the passing game? And I, I did wonder if, if Zaire Franklin could grow into that kind of linebacker, and, and he is. And it's a great story. I, w- I would just say this to, to conclude. I mean, he, he was really salty about his lack of opportunities under Matt Eberflus. I mean, he has never made any bones about it, and he's been very vocal about that. And it, it was weird. I get it. Um, Eberflus did not want to put Zaire Franklin on the field for whatever reason. I think it was a scheme fit kind of question. It wasn't anything personal. It was about the scheme fit. Whatever reservations there may have been there, I, I don't know. I can't speak to them. But all I can tell you is that he, he, is, a great, he is a really, really solid linebacker. And, and I think, you know, if this keeps up, you're talking about a Pro Bowl season for this guy. I thought that he looked really good. Like you said, I thought that Shaq Leonard looked really good for his first game back since last November. EJ Speed got in there and made some plays. They have a really good, I thought, linebacker core. But you yeah. talked about the impact that some of those guys made in the passing game from a defense perspective. I'll flip it to the offense. What is your take on Alec Pierce and where he is early in year two? I do think there is something to to the Colts saying the ball didn't come his way. That, that, that is true. That's fair. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, it's not a line. I, I think that, that can happen. Um, but I, I think what Alec Pierce has to do is – is make himself. Uh, how do I say it? Like he has to. He has to. He has to play in such a way where he's obviously the guy you throw the ball to. And and I, it's funny because we know that there's a willingness on Anthony Richardson's part to throw the ball to Alec Pierce because we saw that in training camp and, and I think in the preseason. But is there really trust yet? And and that is a different question. That's one thing. The other thing I would say is it's also true that the the two deep safeties were a problem. Now, you know, what is Alec Pierce's, you know, sort of meal ticket? His meal ticket is is going down the field and, mm-hmm. and beating coverage. And and you can't really you're going to be reluctant to do that with those two deep safeties. I don't Anthony Richardson is not throwing into double coverage. You know, that that's just he he's not quite there yet. And not not do I nor do I want him to be Josh Allen either in those situations. Oh I'm Lord, don't say that. The delicious are going <laughs> right. to cut you off. <laughs> right. Now there but there are situations where where you can you can see a matchup and and maybe the coverage is there but you trust your receiver and you trust your ball placement, right? And so but you know that that takes time. I don't think he's there yet. So he did the right thing. Shane Steichen is correct that that Anthony Richardson did the right thing and checked the ball down. So what I'm saying is I'm I'm not worried about Alec Pierce just yet. Uh but but I do think he did raise questions with his his preseason performance. I'm not going to just give up on him because of that, but but he definitely raised questions. So I'll be watching. I'm going to. I think it bears watching, and it's up to him to to prove that that he is the guy they say he is. Stephen, last one from me, and this is it's 
kind of an odd question, so I apologize for even asking it, but I, I feel like we, we heard a lot of chatter coming off the um, injury to Aaron Rodgers on Monday night at MetLife. Um, I think back to the national title game that Lucas Oil Stadium held a few years ago. Jameson Williams goes down with the torn ACL, and it, you know, even that night there was so much of the, probably more of the NCAA, like NIL chatter of this guy tearing his ACL on turf and in kind of an exhibition game, if you will. Have you ever heard anything about Lucas Oil and potentially changing from you know turf to natural grass? Obviously, from an ownership, multi-purpose standpoint, hosting other events, you know, turf is much more appealing than natural grass. But do you think that is something that there's actually traction to the NFL possibly getting that a little bit more in all 32 venues? Because certainly that was some of the chatter exiting Monday night as well. Yeah, I, I heard that chatter as well. N- no, I, I have not heard, to be clear, about your, your question about Lucas. Well, I've not heard that. Uh, I do believe, am I am I correct? Did they did they recently change the I title? I thought they did, yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe they just did, right. Now, I don't know whether what they changed to is preferable or not. I have no idea. To be honest, if I had to guess, knowing the NFL and, and the way teams operate, it, it was more of a, a durability thing or a cost thing or something like that that prompted that change rather than, oh, this is better for the players. <laughs> I mean, that's, that doesn't seem to have ever really been a driving force uh, for, for changes in, the, in playing surfaces, to be completely honest. And, and this goes back to your question. Uh, the, the, the changes in, in playing surfaces or the, the playing surface decisions have generally been about you know, what can withstand weather and all those kinds of things. It, it rarely has been about, you know, what is safest, to be completely honest with you. And so, yeah, I mean, the union has really fought this and really pushed hard. But, you know, I, I don't know how much uh, how much leverage they've used in, in trying to, to get it changed, you know, because the union typically has to use up all their all, – all of their – you know, their, their might and their leverage in trying to get financial concessions, you know? So it, to, to then turn to the playing surface and to try to use some of their, some of their, their leverage for that, you know, it, it almost gives up, you know, some of their, some of their, you know, their leverage that they could use elsewhere that, which they do need, <laughs> you know? So I, I just think there's nothing really forcing the NFL to come to the table and really think about this. Now, what does make the NFL think is when a player like Aaron Rodgers goes down because nobody wins there, right? I mean, you think about all the lost ratings for those Jets primetime games this year, and there will be lost TV ratings, undoubtedly. You know, all those kinds of things, that's what gets the NFL's attention, uh, just unfortunately, all right? Even even Aaron Rodgers ultimately is a commodity, you know? And, and that's just what it is. That sports is a business. Let's stop playing. Let's stop pretending that it's something else. So I guess what I'm saying is, I mean, it would, I think it would honestly require, you know, a series of cataclysmic injuries like this to really prominent players for there to really be momentum to do, to do something about it. And, and that's not to say injuries won't happen on natural grass. They, they will. But, but there's clearly evidence that, that field turf, 
does contribute to some of this. Yeah, it's kind of fitting that we bring this up because just in the last minute or so, Lloyd Howe, the uh, new director of the NFLPA, he released this statement. Moving all stadium fields to high-quality natural grass surfaces is the easiest division the NF- decision the NFL can make. The players overwhelmingly perform it, and the data is clear that grass is simply safer than artificial turf. Turf. It yep. is an issue that has been near the top of the players' list during my team visits and one I have raised with the NFL. He goes on to say that it makes no sense stadiums can flip over to superior grass services when the World Cup comes in a few years or or soccer clubs come to visit for exhibition games in the summer. Um, so I do think this is a topic that, you know, maybe it did take something as prominent as Rodgers on Monday Night Football in Week 1 yep. for it to really spur, but I'm curious to see how this unfolds moving forward. Uh, all right, Stephen, we will see you here in a bit. Thanks for uh, hopping on with us. All right, guys. I'll see you soon. That's Stephen Holder right there from ESPN on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You know, we haven't seen it, I think, as recently, James, but I do recall, I mean, for a while there, um, you had the Colts routinely ranked as the most injured team in the NFL. You know, games lost was that stat that – uh, you know some of the injury. Um, I don't know experts, football outsiders, those sorts of organizations looked into. I don't think they've been as high in that in recent years. But I mean, we're out at practice. The Colts have grass fields, and then they have an indoor turf field. I mean, they go on that grass field as much as they can. I mean, it is. I mean, even in colder weather, we saw last year with Frank Reich and Jeff Saturday, they would go outside for a large, large portion of practices. Like this week, for example, I assume, I don't know, I'd have to double check, I think Houston is a turf field, but I would guess they're outside all week long. Yeah, I mean, on my first year and some change on the beat, I've rarely been inside that indoor facility unless it's just like the worst weather ever or it's like, you know, a lightning or something yeah, like even that. Even when they're playing on turf that week. Exactly. Yeah. They're like gonna last be week, on the for grass. example, they played on turf and they practiced yeah. three straight days They're going to be on the grass as much as possible for sure. I mean, the most I've seen the indoor facility was probably when Buckner had like his kids camp. And, then, and even then you're not doing a bunch of hard drills on that. So it's something to be said. But I think with Aaron Rodgers, and I'm sure I'm not the only person that said this, sometimes sports is, are just cruel. And they're unkind. And I don't think it necessarily was the turf. I don't think it was anything. It's just what it is. You know, you had this moment. You, you, you're you playing. You're fine. And then you're not. In one second, you're not. And, I mean, I'm not some expert, but I did see a similar situation with KD in the finals. You know, Kevin Durant years ago where you make one step and it's just, hey, I'm done. And the difference now, obviously, is that Aaron Rodgers is 39. He's playing a contact sport. Basketball is a contact sport, but not the same. And so will he return? Is this the end? We don't know. But to your point and, and, and to what uh, Stephen Holder was saying, the league kind of just keeps rolling on. And they, don't, and they don't have the same power in this players association as other leagues do to really get their demands heard. And so it's something that is obviously frustrating for the players. But like you said, and like Stephen Holder said, it's probably going to take a lot more, you know, top guys going down. I mean, God forbid Patrick Mahomes has a turf injury. I mean, the league will be set on fire. Can you imagine? Yeah, oh, oh, they get it fixed immediately. Oh, yeah. But Saudi Arabia would say, hey, Patrick, <laughs> come over here and play for all this money. We've we got the most beautiful grass fields you can imagine. I mean, Jake threw that theory out a few weeks ago when I was on here, and he's just not lying. I think where the money goes, anything is possible. But getting back to, I guess, the point, 
it's just a tough break for him. Yeah, and this was something that um, Shane just brought up. Lucas Oil has no drainage system on the field. Natural grass needs water without significant changes to what's under the turf floor now. Natural grass isn't even a possibility. Obviously, there would have to be significant changes. I mean, we saw last year in the Super Bowl, remember that fiasco with Arizona, you know, having that grass that they brought in for the Super Bowl, and it was Terrible. supposed to be just a specialization. It's surprising to me that in 2023, this is as much of an issue Um as it still is, just from a technological standpoint. Um, okay, Michael Lombardi from ESPN going to join us here in about five minutes. Again, he was on the flip side of the uh, Trent Richardson trade about 10 years ago, so we can ask him just about running backs in general, the Jonathan Taylor situation, certainly what New York is doing. And sticking with Zach Wilson, sounds like they will sign a veteran, but Robert Sala made it pretty clear yesterday, Zach Wilson is their guy moving forward. So we'll do that in a few. Before that, let's do a quick morning check down. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Haven't said this very often lately. Last night was a good night for my red legs. Not only did they get a win in extra innings, all five teams ahead of them in the wild card standings lost. Mark, that includes your Cubs. Chris Bryant, mm-hmm. a big night against his former team. But in true Cubs fashion, they're spinning it in a different direction today. Oh, Pete Crow Armstrong. The future is here. The future is now. What was that noise? Yeah, he he had a it's solid being night. A hater. Check out the highlights. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, James. Enjoy it. Enjoy it, Kev. Uh, you're play. I thought you were going to literally play a highlight. No, after a I can loss. if you'd like. To. I mean, if you <laughs> want to hear Cubs highlights, no, Kevin, no, I'll we, we are good on that. James, we were curious yesterday. Would there be running back moves for the Colts? The only one though is the rookie headed IR and Jake Funk getting a call up, right? Exactly, and that to me means that Zach Moss will be available for Week Two and the likely starter. But again, you only got three running backs in your active roster. If one goes down in Houston, Lord have mercy. Zach Moss, Deion Jackson, Jake Funk. Those are the three right now in the 53-man roster. A knee injury to Evan Hull, the rookie out of Northwestern, sends him to IR. I think Mike Chappell reported expected back this season, so not season-ending, but will miss at least four games. All right, on the other side, Michael Lombardi from ESPN, longtime NFL exec. He's going to join us. We'll hit a lot different things with him not only Colts related but certainly the Jets situation and where they go in week two and beyond we'll do that on the other side it's the wake up call with KB and James Boyd today on 93.5 whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you 5075 the fan all right, our next guest, a longtime NFL exec, you see him on ESPN, Michael Lombardi. Um, he is joining us right now. Uh, his new book out um, is Setting the Record Straight on the Coaches and Players in History of the NFL. Uh, the new book is Football Done Right. I love this quote from Bill Belichick, a master class in the history, philosophy, and art of football from a man who has seen it all. Michael, I don't know if you realize this, but coming up on Monday, that is September 18th, do you have any idea what anniversary that is for you? And in this market, it's not an anniversary that Colts fans want me to bring up? It's September 18th in Indianapolis Colt Market? No, I really don't. I mean, this will be great to hear. September 18th, 2013, you got a first-round pick in return for Trent Richardson. That's right. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, that's right. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I never got a chance to make the pick. I got fired 
but uh, that was great. I got to spend three more years with Coach Belichick in New England, and Jimmy Haslam paid me the whole way through, so <laughs> it ended up working out well. I was yeah. happy with it. I'm good. Sounds like yeah. a win. I, I I find it a little odd that maybe I'm starting there, but there is some running back drama in this market r- r- right now. Can I tell you a story about that trade? Yeah, oh yeah. So I'm at USC scouting. I'm on the road that week. We're going to play in Minneapolis. And so I went to the West Coast to do some scouting, and, I, and we're working through the trade. And I'm, I parked my car. I don't know if you've ever been to USC, but it's a downtown campus, kind of in a rough neighborhood. And I parked the car in the parking garage. And when the trade went through, I needed to get back to my hotel. I needed to call Trent. I needed to do all those things. So I'm on the phone and I can't find my car in the parking lot. I, I forgot where I parked it. You've ever had that happen to you before? You know, like an idiot, I didn't take a picture. So <laughs> I literally had to call security to drive me around. And when I'm calling security, I'm closing the trade of the deal. And I'm then talking to Trent Richardson and the woman who's in the car uh, you know, here's all this. And I'm saying, ma'am, you cannot repeat any of this. And I tipped her and said, please, you cannot repeat any of this to anybody in your friends. Give me about four hours and you can tell everybody what you just witnessed. And that's what happened. <laughs> that is out. Outstanding. I, I guess I do have one more follow-up. I mean, for Colts fans, Vic Ballard goes down with the torn ACL. They just won 11 games in Andrew Luck's rookie season. W- what do you remember about kind of your initial interactions with Ryan Ryan Grigson when you know he called to to inquire about Trent? Well, we, we felt like, uh, you know, Joe Banner worked with him at the Eagles, so we kind of felt like he was going to want to pull the pin on something. M- my biggest concern was uh, I didn't want people to find out what I knew and the longer we had him, they would have. And the longer we had him on our team, they would have seen what I knew. And that was what I was concerned. So if we didn't get this deal done with Ryan, it, we were going to, the value of the player was going to increase because his perception was tremendous. But the reality that I knew wasn't. Was that from a work ethic standpoint or fitness no, standpoint? No, no. Actually, I wrote about it. I, I wrote about it in this new book, and I wrote about it in Gridiron Genius too. It's when Brad, it's when when Brad Roll, our strength coach, was so happy in the summer. He came to me and said, "Oh my God, this guy's in incredible shape. We got him in incredible shape. This guy's incredible." Yada yada yada. And then when I went out in the field, and he didn't look like he could get to the edge. He didn't look like he had a burst. You know, he didn't look like he was going to be able to impact any way. And so when I saw that, I'm like, if this is the best he is, this isn't good enough. So there's no excuses. Nobody could say he's not in shape. Michael, when we look at the situation here in Indianapolis, obviously Jonathan Taylor is grabbing a lot of headlines. But the question I have for you relates to the personal side of it. When you're a general manager, there's obviously a lot of personal interaction. And so how much does that weigh into your decisions? Not necessarily what you're going to do, but how you go about doing it. Well, I mean, you know, there's the business side and the personal side. Look, we all, when we enter the NFL arena, we all understand the business side. You know, it's not, you know, it's going to be harsh. It's going to be challenging and it's going to be difficult. And you're going to make people uncomfortable and you're going to have an opportunity to piss people off. And But you have to, as a general manager of a team, you have to put the team first. You have to put the franchise first. You have to protect the franchise. That's your job. 
your job is to protect the franchise today, tomorrow, and two years down the road. So if you have to make a hard decision, that's why they pay you that money. I mean, they don't pay you that. It's like when, when Bobby Kennedy walked into the White House and John Kennedy said to him, how come every time you come in here, it's a hard decision? And Bobby Kennedy says, because I solve all the easy ones before I come in here. The reason <laughs> they're paying you is because it's hard. It's hard. So knowing that it is hard and they're in a situation now where it feels very contentious and obviously they're in a the standoff running back franchise, what would you do in the situation as a general manager, knowing how valuable Jonathan Taylor is, but also realizing there isn't much value if he's going to be very unhappy and doesn't want to be here. You know, when you join the Navy SEALs, right, it's a hard thing to do. It takes They take 175 people, uh, candidates, and, and by the end of it, there's only 25 that remain. And then to get into SEAL Team 6, it's even harder. But what happens to get into SEAL Team 6 is you have to have people that make SEAL Team 6 end up with high performers and high trust. But the next level of people that make SEAL Team 6 have have high trust and maybe not as high performance. So what happens is you want to build a team around those kind of guys. And Taylor was one of those guys, high performance, high trust, when you listen to him talk in April. But when he started talking when he got his new agent, all of a sudden, you know, his high performance, now we have low trust. Those guys you can't win with. That's not going to help. But here's the separate side. You have an asset in him. There's a perception that, you know, he's an asset. He is. They gave him every opportunity to look at the open market. They gave him every opportunity to have somebody put a deal in front of him at 17, 18, 20 million a year. No one did that. No one offered anything very good for him. And if you're going to be worth 17 million a year, if that's what you think your value is, then the, the Colts should get a first round pick back for him. I mean, like, it's not the Colts' job to make another team happy. It's not the Colts' job to satisfy this. We have taken this NBA mentality and tried to put it into the NFL. When the NFL has rules, and everything about the NFL is different than the NBA. The NBA players control their league. The NFL, the collective bargaining agreement, controls the league. That was negotiated by the players and by the owners. So it's a completely different thing. But the media seems to intertwine it all in. I mean, Chris Jones just held out. He got fined upwards. He basically lost $3 million. Now, the, the Chiefs were kind enough to try to get him $2 million back based on playtime incentives. But that holdout might be the most ridiculous holdout of all time. Why? What did he gain from it? He got bad advice. Just like Taylor's getting bad advice. Taylor's best advice would be go out there, play hard, rehab, just exactly what he said in April. That was the best advice he could have had. But somehow this agent that he got convinced him that he was going to make everything go away and make all nice. And the guy ends up looking like a fool. If I'm Chris Ballard, I hang on to him. I learned from Al Davis, patience is a great virtue. I'll hold on to him. And if I decide to franchise him next offseason, it's because I feel like I can get more than a, comp- uh, than a compensatory third for him. Michael Lombardi is with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Again, his latest book, uh, Setting the Record Straight on the Coaches, Players, and History of the NFL. Um, let's shift gears quickly to the New York Jets. Uh, Zach Wilson, Robert Saleh are pretty adamant. They you know, might make a veteran move, but it's no competition here. This is Zach Wilson's team moving forward. Uh, any surprise uh, from you with those comments? 
No, I, I actually, you know, I, I think to me, he, he doesn't have any recourse, right? So I, I don't know where people think you can find a quarterback on the open market. I, I think Kurt Warner comes around once every 500 years, right? Like, you're, you're not going to be able to go back to the Iowa Barnstormers and find another quarterback. You know, he kind of filled in for Trent Green. He was there. Mike March saw him. But they've got to make Zach Wilson into the best player they can make Zach Wilson. He can be. they got to make Zach Wilson the best Zach Wilson. And then they've got to win the game. Football's a funny game, right? We talk so much about statistics and offensive football. But football's a game about offense, defense, and the kicking game. And sometimes you may not have the best stats, but you might win. That's the only important stat. So, to me, Salah's got to move on. It's got to be hard. It's hard. But today, no more talking about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers isn't on the team anymore. We've got to move forward. We've got to be able to talk to the team about what we need to do to win the next game and how we have to play to win the next game, and how we have to manage manage Zach Wilson to win the next game. There's no savior flying in. You know, there's no one that you're going to be able to bring in that's going to make us a great team again. we just got to recover. Michael, I know you mentioned it earlier, but uh, before we let you go, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, history of the NFL, what will readers be getting with that? Well, I think you'll be getting a, a really a, a background on how the coaching trees of the NFL have been created who's responsible for that, the five great coaches I call White Oaks. I rank the top coaches. I then talk about how trades are made. I talk about how uh, the draft kind of came into play and the influence of the draft, the actual television, how television came in. I set a criteria for coaches to get in the Hall of Fame, which I think really desperately needs to happen. And then I rank the top 100 players and tell a story about each player that maybe fans don't know about and take them inside the game a little bit on how the player from the past would impact the game today. Great, great stuff, Michael, with us. Uh, I think good memory lane for you, bad memory lane for Colts fans maybe 10 years ago coming up on Monday. I really enjoyed some of that insight, and uh, we look forward to reading the book. Thank you. Thank you so much. Michael Lombardi right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, yeah, James. Ten years ago, I know you were what a, junior in high school. Uh, I was going to guess a freshman in high school. <laughs> uh, yeah, quite the trade. Uh, the Colts' uh, first round pick for Trent Richardson. That and, was the last time a first round pick got traded for a running back. Fun fact. Yeah, I guess if you add up all the McCaffrey stuff, maybe that's a first rounder. But yeah, yeah, just an outright first rounder. That is a great point. I thought that was interesting what he shared and when he knew. Yeah. It was over with Trent, or at least he wasn't worth third overall pick. Because remember, that 2012 draft, it went Luck 1, it went RG3 2, and then it went Trent Richardson 3. And when the Colts made that trade, I think as he started to struggle, I I think it grew into a little bit more kind of work ethic stuff here. But clearly something had to happen in Cleveland for them to say we're good with it right then and there. If I'm not mistaken, maybe you know this because I know you wrote something on it, when Taylor requested that trade a few weeks back. Didn't that Cleveland first-round pick go to Johnny Manziel? I'm actually not sure about that. I know if Michael it, Lombardi didn't make that I was gonna say, trade. If it did, Lord have mercy. Uh, you can't say that's a win. You know, initially it, it's a win, but if you know what I mean, like what a full picture story on that. Oh, my goodness. That yeah, is. let me see if I can find that. 2014 draft. Um, I thought it went for Manziel. Johnny Manziel, 22nd overall. Wow. They used it to trade up. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Philadelphia traded the selection to Cleveland in exchange for a first-round selection, which Cleveland had previously acquired from Indy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So maybe it didn't work out so well for 
Well, I guess he was gone, and as he said, he still got paid for it. Um, But yeah, boy, I I remember. I mean, the Ursa tweets, trade wins are a-blowing, Grigson's wheeling and dealing, and boy, touchdown in his first game against the 49ers, and that was it. That was it from there. All right, still things that we want to get to today. Again, James Boyd is in. Andy Sweeney and his wife welcoming in their first child a little earlier than expected. Hopefully things are going smooth. Andy did trade some text earlier. He compared the process to, um, I guess let me make sure I have this quote exactly right, to a Big Ten football team moving the ball <laughs> down the field. Uh, we're prodding like an Iowa Northwestern game. Uh huh. Yeah, I feel like it's noon. It's forty-two degrees on Lake Michigan. We're prodding along slow, like a Big Ten team, uh, moving like a Wisconsin offensive line here <laughs> in the open field. Yeah. Uh, so yes, uh, well wishes certainly to the Sweeney family. Uh, but a couple things that I want to hit on. Uh, let's get into a little Pacers chatter. I know you certainly covered the Pacers and just watched Tyrese Halliburton play in the World Cup. Uh, we are less than a month away from their preseason opener. Uh, so we'll touch a little bit on that. And then again, I thought two Colts that have very important seasons coming up this year. I thought they had uh, nice debuts on Sunday afternoon. So we'll touch on that coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. It is the wake-up call. James Boyd filling in for Andy Sweeney today. I'm Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton with us on a beautiful Wednesday here in Indy. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Well, that was some great stuff from Michael Lombardi. From ESPN, he was pretty strong in the pro-Colts camp with Jonathan Taylor's situation and also a little trip down maybe the not-so-much-memory lane of 10 years ago Monday, the trade of Trent Richardson. Michael Lombardi was the one that got a first-round pick for Cleveland with that. So while that up on the podcast, we haven't talked really at all about the Jets situation with Zach Wilson now. He will be the permanent guy. I think it's fair to say that based off Robert Sala's comments. I know Andy would strongly disagree with me, James. And again, James Boyd is with us here from The Athletic as Andy and his wife are welcoming in their first kid here, hopefully later today. I almost forgot, but the Jets did go 5-4 and four with Zach Wilson at quarterback last year. I, I don't know. I feel like there's this like national... I guess, misconception. And I'm not acting like Zach Wilson threw for 303 touchdowns every single game in those nine games. But, like, the dude is not, you know, what the Colts had at quarterback last year. I get the bars low, but I, I don't know. I guess I'm not. And the Jets were my AFC Super Bowl pick, James. So maybe I'm speaking from that. But <laughs> I, I guess I'm not saying, like, the Jets are toast and they're going to win four games. No. Our guy at The Athletic who covers the Jets, Zach Rosenblatt, he – Tweeted out, you know, they're con- you know, if they are going to consider somebody, one of the guys was Matt Ryan. And I immediately tweeted, <laughs> no, he should not be considered at all. 18 turnovers last year, 13 picks, five lost fumbles in 12 games. I mean, even we talked about it during the game when Anthony Richardson got sacked initially and he put the ball in his other hand and we were like, how do you hang on to that? 
it was almost like, wow, we're watching a guy who holds on yeah, to the ball. Yeah. That would have been a fumble 1,000%. Yeah, I mean, there was a Houston game last year with four fumbles in one game that was ominous and kind of a precursor for the season. So I was telling all Jets fans and anyone willing to listen, even our staff, no, don't give that any credence at all. Yeah, Zach Wilson gives them the – and again, I, I don't want to act like they're winning 13 with them, but the best opportunity to win – it is probably him. And I think you have to also ask yourself, you know, yes, Wilson was five and four as a starter last season. Are you a better football team? I mean, Brees Hall looked pretty good. Uh, looked you know, amazing. you obviously have added Dalvin Cook. You've added Alan Lazard, Garrett Wilson now. Um, One of the best coaches we'll ever see. Yeah, another year into his NFL career. They went out, they got McCall Hardman in free agency from the Chiefs. So um, it's a loaded division without question, but I feel like of all the. S- realistic scenarios on the table I do think Zach Wilson was the best one I think their goal should be getting the playoffs I know the Super Bowl talk was obviously warranted with Aaron Rodgers now there are concerns I think after that first game with the offensive line yeah but and Ashley pointed that out on on, on Twitter she tweeted at us about their own line yeah that that obviously is a huge concern but yeah. that doesn't that eliminate all the statues that they were talking about Matt that's, Ryan, and Nick that's the exact reason you know, why I guys. said, yeah, Nick Foles, no. Yeah. And honestly, I remember saying last year when Nick Foles got the start and went in there, I was like, oh, I can't get any worse, and it did. He was, you know, he had the arm to kind of put it down the field, but not the accuracy to go with it. So, again, the best option you have is the guy that's been there, the guy you drafted, you know, in the first round as your future franchise guy. Now, obviously, he hasn't lived up to that billing so far, but it could create a scenario where you rally together, make the playoffs and at the end of the year you're like hey we did the best of what we had and then you reevaluate but to act like you can just plug somebody in like it's a video game and it's all going to work no that's not how it works in real life all right nine o'clock hour coming up we will get into a little bit of pacers conversation but on the other side i want to hit on a couple colts that i thought um had some nice openers on sunday and they are huge huge pieces when you're talking about what the puzzle looks like for the colts moving forward around anthony richardson we'll do that coming up on the other side it's the wake up call james boyd from the athletic filling in today for andy nine o'clock hour here it is the wake up call with kb and Andy is normally in, but Andy Sweeney and his wife right now, they got the early call to head into the hospital yesterday, just after dinner is when Andy gave me a ring, and I was like, oh boy, um, I have a feeling I know what this is about. So 35 weeks pregnant, sounds like baby though, close to about six pounds, and uh, we'll certainly keep you updated on that. Well wishes to them, and hopefully everything goes as smooth as possible. I believe it'll be James Boyd and I again tomorrow. James Boyd from The Athletic with us right now, then myself and Mark Dykton to round out the week here um, on Friday. Uh, James, there were two Colt players that I thought had nice season openers, and I think they are critical to the puzzle pieces moving forward around Anthony Richardson. Curious if you can read my mind on who I think those two guys wore from Sunday. The obvious one is Michael Pittman Jr., (laughs) but I'm going to go with Josh Downs and Kylan Granson. Interesting. Um, those Both of those guys, I thought, certainly had some moments. It was interesting looking, and I've got the box score right here. I, I couldn't believe it when I got to the end of the game and saw seven targets for Josh Downs. He only caught three balls, but that's seven targets. That was the second most on the team. That surprised me a lot. And I don't I forget how many snaps he exactly played, but 
when you have three targets for Alec Pierce in 66 snaps and seven for Josh Downs and whatever he played, 40-some snaps, um, those numbers obviously stood out to me. I'm actually going to go a little bit down a different path than the names that you mentioned. I thought it was very solid openers for Bernard Ryman yes. at left tackle, and then I'll go to Quiddy Pay at defensive end. Now, Quiddy Pay was facing a rookie right tackle. He it was a first-round pick, Anton Harrison, out of Oklahoma for the Jags, but I thought Pay was pretty disruptive. Uh, I think he had... He had a, a sack. sack. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I just felt like I noticed a little bit more consistent pressure from him than we have seen. Um, so I thought it was a pretty good opener from him. He's officially credited with two tackles for loss and then had that sack like you mentioned. And then I know offensive line, there were certainly some issues you had in short yardage situations, the run blocking in general. I know Jim Bob Cooter thought it was a little bit better than maybe the stats indicate. Um, but I didn't think Bernard Ryman should necessarily be grouped in with all of those other guys, particularly the the Will Fries um, and maybe even a little bit of Ryan Kelly. I thought Ryman had a nice opener. And when I'm talking about the premium positions that matter on a football team after quarterback, um, I do find left tackle and defensive end to be pretty high on that list. These are two guys that you've invested some draft picks in, Quiddy Pay being a first-rounder uh, for week one. I thought it was important to see those guys uh, have a nice start. Yeah, Bernard Ryman, according to Pro Football Focus, their advanced stats gave up one hit, one pressure. That's not bad for a left tackle in the NFL because you're facing a lot of the top, you know, pass rushers. Yeah, I mean, they're guys. one overall pick and Trayvon Walker from two years ago. What was Josh Allen? He was a top five pick, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we were talking about it throughout the game of how many, you know, top five picks they've had to sort of rebuild their team. And then you look at, like you said, you know, Will Fries was, according to the least these this, these stats, the most troublesome offensive lineman, which isn't a surprise for anybody out there, but gave up a hit, two hurries, and three pressures. So that's a bit concerning for him. But I thought Bernard, or as, you know, Jim Bob Cooter calls him the offensive coordinator, Bernie. Bernie. Bernie played well. And I think that he's showing that he's a guy you can trust going forward now. Do you trust Will Fries as your right guard of the future? Probably not. But I think for the most part, the offensive line blocking-wise wasn't – Bad, at least when it came to protecting Anthony Richardson, is just how do you now build on that and keep him protected while also making sure you're creating some sort of advantage for the running backs. But to me, a lot of that probably falls on who's back there and who's toting the rock. I mean, at some point, you need someone to be a little bit better back there as far as breaking tackles, um, falling forward, those sorts of things. You know, when I talk about Ryman and Pay specifically, Obviously, the Richardson storyline is going to dominate this season. Yes. Jonathan Taylor is going to dominate. You brought up Michael Pittman. Yes, I mean, he, he could be thrown in that group as well. He's got a critical year. And second half-wise, he definitely had a, a strong game on Sunday. Um, you know, you can get into Shaq Leonard and Kenny Moore's in a contract year. You know, the, Shane Steichen's first year. There are a lot. But I think Ryman and Pay, if you get to, you know, it's September 13th. If we get to January 13th, and at that point, Bernard Ryman is halfway through his rookie contract. And at that point, Quiddy Pay is more than halfway through his rookie deal. The Colts actually have to make a decision on Quiddy Pay next spring whether to pick up his fifth-year option after this current year three or not. If you can get to mid-January and start to outline what your offseason needs to look like and you're sitting there saying, we've got the left tackle. 
we feel like we've got the defensive end. Maybe you don't say that 1,000% set in stone, particularly with pass rush, because I always think that you need more there. But if you can say that and then enter a draft where you don't necessarily feel this you know, massive need to go out there and draft a left tackle or draft a defensive end, I think that does wonders to building around Anthony Richardson. So I wanted to make sure we didn't get lost in the shuffle here of, yes, it was a 10-point loss, and obviously the Richardson defense held the punt unit. Those are the storylines we talked a lot about Monday and Tuesday, but I did want to single out those two guys who uh, I thought had nice uh, nice openers. Yeah, and Quiddy has talked a lot about building on this year. He felt that he was going to have a breakout season last year that had the fluky ankle injury at Denver that kind of derailed his season. But, you know, J.J. Stankovitz, the reporter for Colts.com, our guy, he tweeted out that he talked to Quiddy after the game, and, and Quiddy's quote to him was, I worked too hard to not reap the benefits. For me, you work too hard, go out there and get it because it's out there for you to go get it. And so, obviously, those are encouraging words. His performance was really good. And I think the front seven – was better than I thought it would be. Yeah, there was that, a lot of playmaking within that unit. Yeah, and and so obviously there's going to still be question marks about the secondary, but that front seven was nice in my opinion, and you want to see more from Quiddy because you want to be able to, like you said, look up and say you hit on at least one of these premium positions in the league. And well, especially the it, first-round pick. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But, I mean, and then obviously if Bernie works out, it's like, wow, we, we really hit it right. because now we're, we're getting a return on an investment that is higher than maybe what it should be. Right. Sometimes you need a little bit of that in the NFL to, to, to be good. Yeah, you can't obviously spend first-round picks on everybody. Um, you know, third-rounder in, in – um, Bernard Ryman, as we look ahead to Sunday, Houston's offensive line really banged up, particularly at right tackle. Uh, center, they're, they're starting Jarrett Patterson from Notre Dame, who's a six-round rookie. So if you're Grover Stewart, you know DeForest Buckner, Pay opposite that right tackle situation, I think they ended Sunday with a third stringer at right tackle. Uh, you've got to be you know, ops, absolutely licking your chops. C.J. Stroud was sacked five times in that opener. It kind of brings me to Riley's question. James, Riley sent me this email-wise because i love to hear your and James' thoughts on this. Um, you look at all the starting rookie quarterbacks this season. Which situation would you rather have? AR with an established and proven O-line but lacking weapons or Houston and Carolina with bad O-lines and their rookies getting crushed yet some better weapons? Give me Anthony Richardson's situation because... The trenches usually decide how things go. You can have the greatest skill players in the world, but if you can't block to allow yourself to use them, it's meaningless. And so I think that Anthony Richardson is in a pretty good spot where, you know, you are probably lacking in the, you know, dynamic player category. However, a lot of that can can not a lot of it, but some of it can be solved by just having more time to to decide dissect the defense and also some development things as well. I think that I got like Drew Ogletree had a big catch in that game, right? Could have maybe had a bigger impact. He leaves with a concussion. We don't know his status going forward. We'll find it out later today, or at least where he's at. And then you look at Josh Downs. Had a couple of big plays, seven targets. You want to see them connect more on those targets. I think only had like three catches. But again, he's a guy who can take a step forward. So I would much rather be in AR situation. I think that he's, if I'm being honest, of all the quarterbacks, first-year starters, he might be in the best situation as far as you know, what's in front of him and what he has around him. It's not great. I know people are, you know, very mad with the running back room and, and some of the offensive line issues, but 
I mean, I think it's much better for him than it is for T.J. Stroud right now. Yeah, I was looking at just a quick rundown of, of the rookies here in Week 1. Bryce Young was sacked twice, hit seven times in his 38 attempts. Richardson was sacked four times. A couple of those were just him running out of bounds um, short of the line of scrimmage. Hit six times in 37 attempts. C.J. Stroud clearly the most. Granted, he did throw it 44 times, but he was hit 10 times, sacked five against Baltimore, which you know there's probably an element that you expect that from Baltimore. Um, I think something to keep in mind about Stroud and Young, though, James, they are not going to be anywhere near the design runner that Richardson is going to be. No. And, and we brought this up a little bit early in the show, but I think it's worth bringing up again, and we'll see how the injury report looks today. Anthony Richardson suffered what he called a knee bruise on the first carry of his NFL career. That was the design run you saw, kind of the triple option look. where he Awkward ran fall. For, for a first down. Yeah, it was kind of an awkward fall there. Um and he stayed in the game. He did limp. I, I thought he limped pretty significantly in that immediate aftermath right. of that play. I thought for a second there, is he going to stay in? Or are they going to have to take a timeout? What's going on here? And in true Richardson fashion, two plays later, he delivered a strike to Josh Downs <laughs> with the man in his face. So you obviously love that if you're a Colts fan, seeing how he reacts to that situation. And then at the end of the game, he gets hit. Uh, Shane Steichen said he could have gone back in. He did not go back in. Shane did let us know on Monday that... A little bit of ankle soreness for Anthony Richardson in the day after the game. So, um, I think unlike Stroud and Young, he's they aren't going to be as susceptible. Those guys do run and can run, but I don't think Carolina and Houston are utilizing them very closely to how the Colts want to utilize Richardson. So, I think from an injury and a health standpoint, it's more of a play style thing. That will be... Th- a thing to watch because you know CJ Stroud much more of a pocket passer. Bryce Young is more of a passer than he is a runner. With Richardson, you've got that debate right now on how much he will do that. So you know whether it's the injury report today or just how those hits add up, I think that'll be something to keep an eye on as well. Trevor Lawrence said that after the game, and I thought that his comments were one really really kind for a division rival, but. He said it. He told Anthony Richardson as a mobile guy himself that this is someone who, you know, can't take a lot of hits. Hey, bro, go down. Make sure that you're not, you know, hurting yourself by taking extra beatings and poundings because to me, it's not worth it in the long run if you do get that first down in week three, but by week, you know, 14 or or 15, you're struggling to, you know, be available. And that uh, Trevor Lawrence audio, I know we played it earlier in the week, but for those that missed it, this was Lawrence after the game sharing what he told Anthony Richardson at midfield. Yeah, I thought he, he made some great plays. Obviously, it's being a rookie quarterback, it's a, it's a tough spot. There's a lot of learning you have to do, and um, it's just every week learning and getting better. And I, I, the only thing I told him after the game was a great, you know, great game. He made some some unbelievable plays, but just try to protect yourself. You know, these the hits add up in this league, and. They, they're a little different than in college, so I just told him to protect himself. And, you know, I'm excited to watch his career unfold. Um, I think he's going to be a great player, and obviously we'll see him again later in the season. But that was my only message to him, really, just protect yourself. It's a long season, and I, th- I think he's going to be a great player. Yeah, I, I agree with that comment, James. I You know, kudos to Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he's always struck me as a pretty good dude. Um, but I thought in a moment that can be pretty competitive and a guy that you're likely going to see in your division for the next X amount of years um, I thought it was a nice comment from Trevor Lawrence after the game. The hair always amazes me on Trevor Lawrence. 
Oh yeah, I mean honestly, the dude might be one of God's favorites. You got the got the hair, got the stature. You're the quarterback throwing dimes. I mean, doesn't get much better than that. I, I could not believe how many on target balls that Lawrence delivered that I was like, oh man, that's not getting completed. Like Daryl Baker's right there, or. You know, Dallas Flowers is right there. And it was a variety of dudes. Zay Jones, Evan Ingram. It wasn't always Calvin Ridley. Like yeah. these guys just at the moment of truth, they just snagged them. And I'm like, damn, I feel like there's three or four of those. The play where Dallas and Kenny Moore sort of ran into each yes. other. Uh-huh. The replay on that is insane because the window is so small and a hair later. It's, it's picked off, yeah. or it's deflected, or it's in the air, and he just snuck it in there. And I thought, you know, talking about Calvin Ridley, I mean, how crazy is it for them to add yep. a wide receiver mm-hmm. one? Because I don't know if I believed he would be that for them going into this season, having so much time off, and obviously Christian Kirk was really good last year for them. He looked like it on Sunday. He's their wide receiver one, and then that just means that the rest of your depth chart is still really talented. Well, and again, this gets into the argument, James, that we've had before about the lack of support around Anthony Richardson. When Zay Jones is making that catch in the end zone, I mean, we saw what again, great coverage. Alec Pierce three snaps and or, you know three targets and sixty six snaps. And the, the the issue that I have with with Pierce is, and I know Jim Bob Cooter brought up yesterday. Sometimes the ball just doesn't find you. I feel like with Pierce, it's a little bit of boomer bust, or it's a little bit of one trick pony. Like unless the thirty yard ball outside the number attempt is happening where he can go up and get it. I mean he's clearly shown that it one of a game like that. In the NFL. Yeah, one of the Jacksonville game last season. And you know, sometimes he can draw pass interference penalties with that. Unless that's there though, I don't see enough of kind of the other stuff to where if a team takes away that, which that's pretty much what the Colts have been saying. Like, the, uh, yeah, we had deep shots in there and they had a safety over the top and we just couldn't get the ball to Alec. Okay. If they make you play left-handed, a guy drafted, you know, whatever, 40-something overall, you should be able to play left-handed in a little bit more of a methodical way. And I think that's the issue, or that's the question, I should say. It's still early in Pierce's career, obviously. But I think that is the question that you have is, can you impact the game in more of a underneath, methodical, receiving way? And I think at times in camp, I remember in particular, and it's a credit to DJ Baker for this, there were times where Alec Pierce and DJ Baker would be locked in a one-on-one battle, and Baker would kind of swallow him up. You know, Baker wouldn't let him create that early separation, and that is the question that I have with uh, with Pierce. Absolutely, and I talked to him after the game briefly about building more connection with Anthony Richardson, still getting used to playing with him, and I think we would like to see just more of that variety we saw throughout training camp. Because the games themselves, if you're a fan who wasn't able to attend camp, then you probably didn't see some of those crossers that we saw, some of the underneath stuff that we did see that helped move the chains. And so he has to become a versatile net since he said he's worked on it with Reggie Wayne. We'll talk to him later this week as well. But again, not, you know, to hit the panic button just yet, but there's obviously some sort of um, umph you want to see from Alec Pierce and his impact on this offense. Uh, he is James Boyd from The Athletic, and he will be in with us again tomorrow. Andy Sweeney right now being the ultimate cheerleader he can be to his wife as she delivers their first baby. Uh, for those that missed the Andy Sweeney update earlier, uh, he said we are prodding along like a Big Ten football team. Do you think he told his wife he was texting us that? 
I don't know if she would like to hear that right now. We're prodding along say, like, slow like a Big Ten team. <laughs> it's second and eight. It's third and five. It's fourth and two. We're bringing in an extra tight end, hey, and we're going to go for it. I just compared you to Iowa Northwestern. She's like, what the hell are you talking about? She probably about? was like, no, nah, we need some prime time. Dion, Colorado, Buffs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, where's Travis Hunter here? Let me speed this process along. I The Colts did sign. Wasn't that practice squad kid at an Iowa guy? James yesterday, Tyler Goodson. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was the running back move the Colts made yesterday. We we talked all show about it. Uh, yeah, are they going to make any notable moves? Well, you know that he did run. You know, wasn't a pass catcher very much in no. at Iowa. So <laughs> yes, he did a whole lot of running there at Iowa. Again, I assume that that means Zach Moss will be good to go. Uh, coming up on Sunday, we'll see the practice report later today and see where that stands initially for this week. Don't not, don't don't know if we'll have a ton of time to get to it in um, today's show, but with you back in tomorrow, I definitely want to hit on a little bit of Pacers as well. Did you watch um, some of the World Cup? I did, and I was texting my buddy Tony East, who covers you know the team, and it was funny to see some of the breakdowns defensively and just the lack of rebounding. I was like, oh my gosh, that is yeah, a they got pounded on the glass. It's getting bullied. And I could hear every high school coach in America, especially in Indiana, like, rebound! <laughs> it's the last play of defense is to rebound, which they're not lying. And so I thought that Tyrese, though, individually had a really good showing. You think he's got part. a chance to be on the Olympic team? He's got a shot. I don't think that every single person that's, you know, LeBron's trying to recruit is necessarily going to go. And then you also don't know what injuries might happen throughout the season. Right, 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 and then right. you don't know who goes, who's going to go far. I mean, if I'm, you know, LeBron James, for example, if I'm Stephen Curry and I go and win a championship and it took me however long, do I want to risk going overseas to do it? Well, and remember we had, what was it? Was it Middleton, Chris Middleton, Andrew Holiday? Yeah. Both left the finals once it ended yeah. and they flew over Devin to... Booker did, did it as well. Uh, Booker, yeah. Yep. That was Tokyo yep. for those Olympics. So, you know, Paris, you know, it seems like there's going to be a lot of hype, understandably, around these Olympics. I could not believe that... Steph Curry has never been on an Olympic team. You know what it is, though? He hasn't been Steph Curry as long as we think he has. Or or how do I phrase this? But like 2016 been, and 2020, though, right? I know, he's, but he's been in the league, and it's just... It, I know he was hurt early on. Yeah, it just wasn't the... It's not the sexy thing for a lot of NBA players to go do it. However, I selfishly want to see LeBron James and Stephen Curry, the two best players of my generation, on the same court together on the same team and just bully the rest of the world. I just want to see it because LeBron's going to draw a double or a triple team every single time he touches the ball. And if his kickout is Steph Curry, the greatest right. spacer ever, greatest shooter ever, I mean, I, I got to see it. I saw it in the All-Star game. That was pretty fun. But to see it in actual competition would be really cool. And Let's you know. map out a little bit of this guard situation, if you will, to see if Halliburton's got a chance. Okay, so Steph... And I assume Damian Lillard, if they want to play and are healthy, I guess they would be locks, right? Yeah. Devin um, Booker? Yeah, Booker. Are we throwing Anthony Edwards on the team after what he did? I mean, he was probably the best player on this World Cup yeah. team, right? Yeah. Is Donovan Mitchell a lock? I don't think he's a lock. I think Tyrese could. Because be in pure, the you know, pure point guard, you know, Steph and Lillard, you can obviously debate on ball, off the ball with them. But like, if you want like that pure, pure point guard, outside of, I guess maybe Deer and Fox. I'm trying. I mean, Halliburton was infinitely better than Jalen I mean, Brunson. John Morant, maybe. But yeah, I think that. Way, and you imagine the police you'd have to have around John Morant in the yeah, Olympic that's Village. True. But I do think that Tyrese's game is more malleable to 
the FIBA style to just playing with other players. Yeah, and, and I, like he guys. can run a second unit. Exactly. And he has no ego issue with that. Like yeah. he's not going to be somebody like yelling that I should be a starter. I think he'll be someone who could play sort of that Chris Paul role that some of those really good Olympic teams had. Yeah, I actually thought, and I don't say this often, I think some of his comments are a little crazy. I thought Kyle Kuzma had a good tweet yesterday about Team USA just finding guys that are going to be accepting of roles. I mean, yeah. you know, when you look at what Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony have done coming off the bench for them, you know, at times, okay, it's a guy that he's just got to stand in the corner and he's just got to hit some open sh- Like, I feel like the puzzle pieces put together is a big, big part of it because if you just go out there and, you know, you've got guys that aren't willing to do different things. Yes. I think you run into team beating individual talent. I agree with that. Obviously, there's a balance with it, but... I agree with that, but they also don't have a very dominant American big right now. And I know they had Jaron Jackson Jr., you know, really good player, but he's not dominant like peak Dwight Howard was, like Shaq was, obviously, like the Dream Team when they had, you know, Charles Barkley and, um, you know, Patrick Ewing and all these guys who were really, really talented. They don't have that sort of big in today's NBA that's American, so that could be an issue going forward, but you talk about guys playing roles, the guys on this team played roles and and they were accepting of their roles. They just weren't good enough, quite frankly, and I think that that talent gap will be a lot different when it comes to the Paris in 2024 because... I mean, their I mean, defense was so bad. Oh, it was awful. That, to me, is a, some of it is buy-in, some of it is you just don't have great defenders. And I do think, to your point, KB, Tyrese has to be a better defender this year for the Pacers. Oh, yeah, uh, he has to be much better. He's he was you know uh, kind of passive last year. Those international teams were hunting him yes. to the point of all right, you come set a pick and roll, you switch, and I think teams even if Halliburton takes a step up as a defender, what you're going to have is teams saying no, 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 let's switch him, let's make him really guard because that's going to just naturally whatever slow him down he's going to get tired um, he obviously has to do so much for you offensively teams are going to try to make him work a whole lot of the yeah, defensive it's, the it's a Steph Curry approach I mean to this day they're going to always try to switch their best offensive player onto Steph Curry because he isn't a great defender but the difference between I think Tyrese and Steph to this point is that Steph has gotten to that point in his career where he at least is engaged and is passable as a defender in certain instances you know quick hands moving his feet and, and really making you force the switch instead of, you know, kind of sinking into it. So those are things that, that Tyrese, I think, can improve on. And also, he's 6'5". So, you know, get your arms out there. Use some of that length to get in the passing lanes. And you don't have to be an all-war defender. You just have to be a little bit better than I thought he's he has been throughout his first, what, season and a half with the Pacers. And if he can do that, and just from a leadership standpoint, I think that effort will kind of trickle down to the rest of the team and help them, you know, make a push towards the playoffs. We'll talk a little bit more Pacers tomorrow. Again, we're less than a month away from their a preseason opener, a little bit of a later start to training camp in the preseason for the NBA this year. A pop quiz and a few. So go ahead and give us a call, 317-239-1070 for that. James, have you taken a look at the pop quiz yet? I have, and I think the questions are pretty solid, I must uh, say. Would you say they're, they are borderline ridiculous? They are. They're hard. <laughs> I mean, a few of these baseball questions. It's like, I, well, like I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah, I was like, there's no way. I mean... There's a current baseball question that might be, you know, pretty solid, but some of these I was like, wow, this is number one is such a Scotty answer too with Purdue. Oh, number one is just a jerk type yeah. of type of question, yeah. but I like it. Hundred percent. Hundred percent on that. All right, before we get to that pop quiz, let's uh, sneak in a morning check down. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 
on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It was a good night for my Red Legs. Haven't said that in quite some time. Not only do they get a win in extras, and honestly, they probably should just be worried about themselves right now, trying to get as many wins as possible. The five teams above them in the wild card standings, all of them lost. So that is a very, very needed night for the Red Legs. So right now it looks like this. You still have the Phillies up three and a half on the top wild card spot. The Cubs lost to the Rockies last night. They are up two games in spot number two. The final wild card spot is Arizona's as we speak. The Reds are a game back. The Marlins and the Giants are a game and a half back. So good night for the Red Legs. We'll see if that continues again. They are in Detroit and the Cubs are out in Colorado. Are we really playing this There's one? Drive you right requested center, it. And that's a gapper. <laughs> that's going to be trouble. No! A great catch by Pete Crow Armstrong. Nothing says Cubs fans like they lose to the Rockies last night and Mark Dykton wants to play a out. A defensive play made by... Hard hit ball to deep left center. Armstrong on the run back toward the wall. <laughs> Leaping. Just he makes a great catch. Mark, you got to get what the... What a play I think on Cubs fans more than that. <laughs> that Pacers lost last night, but let me tell you how Buddy Heald guarded on this one possession. You requested the Cubs audio. You said, when are, when are we playing Cubs audio? So if you asked, I will gladly oblige. I, I'm, I'm kind of with Mark on this. Like, If you don't win the game, you got to just win the pettiness... Oh, stop it. You know, so. It's 162 you, games. James. You can't have 162. <laughs> How about our Indiana State gear today? Someone texted me and asked if we uh, if we texted each other on this. For those not seeing it on the YouTube chat, James Boyd rocking the Indiana State sweatshirt. looks uh, great with the eye, of course, of the state of Indiana. Uh, kind of one of the uh, alternate logos you see from Indiana State. I love those. Um, I love that same color basketball uni when they rock those. And I've got the Larry Legend hat on. I feel like I'm entering my Hoosier era, so to speak. And, and it's funny because I'm an Illinois grad, and now when I go home and I'm wearing Indiana stuff, they're like, oh, you're a traitor. Yes, I am, because I don't <laughs> owe any money to IU, Indiana State, Notre Dame, Purdue. I owe money to University of Illinois. So if they want to clear my debt from school. You got the champagne money. Yeah, there, yeah. I'd, I'd be happily you know, uh, to, to wear whatever orange and blue that I can find. But until then, I'm rocking with uh, good old Indiana. A couple quick Colts <laughs> notes. They get back to practice today. Again, running back-wise, the moves yesterday weren't much. Evan Hall, the rookie at Northwestern, did go to injured reserve, so he is going to miss four games. Uh, in replacing him, all they did was bump Jake Funk up from the practice squad. So right now, your 53-man roster running backs would be Zach Moss, Deion Jackson, and Jake Funk. Uh, I assume this means Zach Moss will be ready to go on Sunday. Again, he did not play in the opener. He's now over six months removed from that broken arm James weeks, and I weeks uh, sorry weeks <laughs> feels like months <laughs> thank you uh, six weeks removed from that broken arm James and I will be out there later today so we will keep you guys posted and James is going to be with us tomorrow morning as well alright it is time for the pop quiz so give us a call 317-239-1070 uh, we'll do that next here on the wake up call with KB and Andy James Bull- life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Boyd filling in. Again, James Boyd is with us here from The Athletic. He'll be with us again tomorrow as Andy and his wife welcome in. Their first child, uh, James, you just brought up in the previous segment the play where Kenny Moore Dallas Flowers ran into each other on Sunday in the ball that Trevor Lawrence uh, completed to Calvin Ridley. Neil just sent me the screenshot of that play. It is incredible <laughs> how much it looks like Flowers is going to get his right hand on it. Maybe Kenny Moore is going to get his right hand on it. Those two, friendly fire run into each other, and Calvin Ridley makes the connection. Like I felt like there were at least three or four of those passes where, credit to the Colts defensive backs, they were right there. I, I mean, I guess a little bit of nitpick. You just got to finish the play, but just some hell throws and catches from Jacksonville and those pass catchers. Absolutely, and I think that is a classic case of my favorite line, my guy is better than your guy. And that's just what it was on some of those plays. You can have, you know, great position, great awareness, all those things. But sometimes your guy's just better than the other guy. And so there's going to be moments throughout the season, I'm sure, when the Colts have some success in those scenarios. But Calvin Ridley being added to that offense after the season they did just had gives me reason to believe that they're going to be the team that everyone's chasing in the AFC South. You think they're a legit AFC contender, not just AFC South? I think so. I think we got a quarterback as good as Trevor Lawrence. You get in the playoffs, you always got a chance. And it's not the NBA. It's not a series. You know, obviously, the king is Patrick Mahomes, and you kind of got to slay the, the, the big guy to, to get to where you want to go. But, again, it's not the NBA. You know, one turnover, one bad bounce changes a lot of things. I mean, we saw it in the Super Bowl. Everyone's going to tell me in Philly, if Jalen Hurts doesn't fumble, that they win that game. But that's the nature of football in the NFL. One play can change a lot of things. And I think that Trevor Lawrence can win you a game. And if he's in a game against, say, Patrick Mahomes, and it's a big game and one play goes the Jaguars' way, then who's to say they can't win it? By the way, we're going to have Jeff Brom joining us tomorrow. You've got Indiana and Louisville coming up uh, Saturday at noon right here from Lucas Oil Stadium. Mark 745, is that right? 745, yeah. Shout out to Andy Sweeney. He was the one with his Louisville connections able to book that, but looks like we're targeting the former Purdue head coach for about 745 tomorrow. We'll also get a little bit of the Houston view of it coming up for Sunday with the Colts. Um, I, I, frankly, I think the Colts cover pretty easily on Sunday. I know that might be a bit premature by me, but... I'd say, uh, I don't know. The last time I was in Houston, things were weird. <laughs> was, so, was that the old tie? <laughs> that was the tie. My first NFL game I ever covered was a tie. That was so unique. And I remember walking around the locker room and asking all the players what's it like to not win but not lose. And EJ Speed like, tells me in EJ Speed fashion, man, it's some bull mm-hmm. bleep. And I'm like, yes, that's the big, quote I He had a big play in that game, a strip of Davis Mills to kind of get things started towards yep. that tie. All right, it's time for the pop quiz. Let's go every other on this one here, uh, Mr. Boyd. Uh, a number one through eight to get a caller on. What do you? What's your number of choice here? Let's go eight. Ooh, George. George. George? What? Hey, George. Hey, hey, what's going on? George, how you doing, man? Man, uh, well, I've never called into a radio show ever, and the fact that I'm on now is pretty cool. So I listen to you guys all the time. At number eight George, pick came in, man. congrats. We are honored to have you call in. Uh, you're hesitant, or I guess, why did you call in today of all the other ones? Um, 
I mean, I'm completely on with you guys, like with the Jonathan Taylor stuff. I think it's a thing where the three-year, 39 mil, why he doesn't go with that. I mean, I don't know. Make it more like guaranteed money and less incentive base. I mean, just get him on the field. Those two being able to potentially run the option in the NFL, uh, that would be so cool. Hard to argue against that, George. Uh, George, your favorite athlete of all time is who? Oh, man. Um, Favorite athlete, Shaq. I think he's the most dominant player in the most athletic sport, and his team never missed the playoffs. Is that true? Yeah. Wow, that's a wild stat. I, I heard someone say the other day, trying to compare the Deion Sanders thing, and James, curious your, guy, your, your thoughts on this. They tried to compare it to basketball, and they said it'd be like Deion Sanders or Charles Barkley going and coaching, you know, insert your random uh, Missouri basketball or like DePaul basketball or sure. something like that. That was the comparison they offered for a basketball comp to what Deion's doing in Colorado. I mean, they're trying to do something similar, I guess, with Penny Hardaway in Memphis. Right, but, but that's his alma mater. You know, yeah, Dion, this isn't his alma exactly. mater. Exactly. So I think that, that that's a decent look at it, but it's also extremely harder to build, I think, in football than it is in basketball. Oh, you get you get you know doing. you get five, three or four or five star recruits, and you're doing all right in, in basketball. You do that in football, and you still not might have a good team. So what he's doing in, in Colorado right now is very exciting, and he has me watching all of their games. So. Uh, the the ratings have yeah. been impressive. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, like what that first week. I'm I'm a Big Ten fan. I'm actually an IU football and diehard basketball fan, and then Colts football. Um, we'll pray for guys. you with the IU football <laughs> fandom. Okay. No, no. So here's the thing. Um, what I my birthday? Sorry, it's a ten twenty one eighty seven. So uh, I guess I was a or I wasn't even alive for a championship. The only championship I've seen was the Peyton Manning Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, because they would have won it all right uh, March or, I guess, April yeah, of that yeah. uh, of that 87 season there with the key smart and shot then, there. Well, I would say and, IU football is a chance at a championship, but I, I'm... Oh, my gosh. No, no, no. It's, I'll be a realist. It's, it's just, let's, let's just be a little exciting to watch. Yeah. And then Cover against basketball. Louisville coming up on Saturday at Lucas Oil hey, Stadium with your- Louisville favored by 10. How pumped are you guys about? I think the um, the Hoosiers could be a dark horse to be a Final Four team this year. Ooh, boy! I don't know if my heart can handle Xavier Johnson running no, the point for. No, are we talking about I, women's for thirty? Settle down just a little bit. I'm just I'm just saying if you go and if you think about how how Woody has changed the culture there, I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit here and know that. You know, this new freshman coming in from Duke, I'm blanking on his name. Yeah, McKenzie Mbaco. Yeah, I mean, if he can knock down the three and space the floor, and then Ware coming in, I mean, he was a McDonald's All-American. If he's improved, as these collegiate players do, and we all know as we get older, we, uh, you know, we, we tend to just naturally put on a little man strength, if you will. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, George, yeah. we've got Andy Sweeney in the hospital with his wife. That's uh, so exciting. Yeah, we, we, we do. Yeah. And we don't need yeah. to send James Boyd to the hospital with his reaction to your IU as a dark horse Final Four <laughs> team. So, I mean, if you're talking about the women's team, then Mackenzie Holmes, I'm yeah. like, hey, I'm with you. But Mackenzie Holmes back for yeah, six when you year, lose maybe that. Yeah, I, I, two stars. Yeah. I don't know, man. But I, I will I will, I will, say this. It would be fun to see them you know, make it pretty yeah. deep in the tournament. It's a very different yeah. looking front court and certainly stylistically. Um, different. I, Don't know if they've got enough guard play uh, to lead them in March, but we'll we'll see how that makeup goes with their lineup. Um, all right, uh, let's get into the pop quiz, George. Thank you for calling and congrats on the first time here, uh, James. You want to throw number one at him? Yes. So Purdue welcomes Syracuse to Ross A Stadium on Saturday. Who leads the all-time series in football? Um. You know, with Marvin Harrison, let's, let's go with Syracuse. Uh, you're going Syracuse on that one? Yeah. Okay. Number two here, which of the following teams, George, has not been eliminated from the playoffs in Major League Baseball? The White Sox, the Royals, the Tigers, or the Rockies? This team oh, currently man. I would love to see lose tonight and tomorrow night. They lost last night, thankfully. Um, sorry, can I get the answers one more time? Yeah, White Sox, Royals, Tigers, I believe Michael Grady's favorite team, or the Rockies. Uh, let's go with the Royals. Matt Olson tied the Atlanta Braves franchise record for most home runs in the season with his 51st last night. That ties him with Andrew Jones, who set the record in 2006. Whose record did Jones break? A, Hank Aaron. B, Eddie Matthews. C, Chipper Jones. Or D, both Aaron and Matthews. Um, let's go with D on that one. Nice. Right. Smart there, George. Okay, number four here. Since 1990, three NFL quarterbacks completed their first 13 passes in a week one game. Geno Smith did it for the Seahawks last year, and Hall of Famer Jim Kelly did it in 1990. The third did it in a relief effort. Was it Nick Foles, Matt Castle, Davis Mills, or Gardner Minshew? Ooh. Um, Can you grow a mustache, James? I have one right now. A little bit. I Actually, now that that I see you, you you, you do got a little fuzz over there. (laughs) Let's go with uh, Gardner Minshew on that one. Gardner Minshew. Okay. Uh, James, you want to wrap it up here with number five? We'll round it out. 40 years ago today, Ricky Henderson of the Oakland A's stole his 100th base of the season, marking the third straight season he had 100 or more steals. Name the only player to steal 100 bases in a season since Ricky. Uh, is this a multiple choice? No, there's just... It's open-ended. Shockingly, no. Sadly, it is not here. Yeah, the questions I hated uh, when I was in college, taking a <laughs> test. <laughs> let's go with... Um, let's go with, like, Ichiro. Ichiro Suzuki. I love that I like guess that pick, there. Actually, Scotty's double checking the Shaq stat there from George on if his team uh, Shaq, uh, says he missed the playoffs once 
His team missed the playoffs once. That's what the Suns? Yes. Gosh, Shaq did have that run there, James, where it was like, man, he's in some obscure jerseys. Like Shaq in a Cavs jersey? Yeah, he, he basically got was the Shaq rainbow Was Shaq a Celtic done. or yeah. am I imagining No, things? he was yes. a Celtic. Yeah. His last season, and it was, you know, not good. But Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, the Phoenix, Cleveland, Boston. These yeah, are those some, are all just kind of like, yeah, what? But this, this is all in like a five-year stretch because obviously he had the Orlando stint, the, the, the Lakers stint, and the Miami stint where he was just phenomenal and dominant guy. George, I'm um, sorry about the difficulty of this pop quiz. Two of the five he got correct. Gardner Minshew was right. Uh, what, 13 straight passes in a week one game. And then he got number three right that with correct. Uh, Matt Olson's 51st home run beating both Hank Aaron and and Eddie Matthews there. But besides that, a lot of misses. The Tigers have not been eliminated from playoff contention. And then uh, Vince Coleman would be the final one. Produce Syracuse, they're tied. 1-1 in the series. Such a Scotty question. Thanks, George. You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. (laughs) On the long and lonesome highway east of Omaha. Jimmers, I believe Andy Sweeney mentioned Omaha in his tweet last night Uh announcing that they were going into the hospital of a bit of an audible here. As Kyle says accurately, we need more callers like George. Kyle, so true. Love George's energy there in calling for the pop quiz. All right, we'll do it one final time here. It's James Boyd, it's Kevin Bowen, it's Mark Dykton on a Wednesday. Shout out to um, our friends at... Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Big Lug, they are giving a... $200 $200 gift card to the winner of our Fantasy Football League. Mark Dykton, Fantasy Football update for you. I got to win in week one. I am 1-0. You and I on a collision course here? <laughs> Are we? Mayo Plop. You, the, your, that's, your history that's of fantasy name. football? What's your team name? Oh, Vegemite's... shoot. I lost in that league. I stand corrected. Oh, I said shoot. Oh, okay. I was, I was close. I am Vegemite Survivor. So I was going to say, I thought you and I, I thought you lost. I think Andy and I won. won in the podcast league. Yeah, nothing like the old, I score the most points of all the losers. I just hate when that happens. Yeah, Andy with a W. Yeah, shout out to Todd. I forgot Todd uh, messaged me and said that uh, he, he beat me. Nothing like, uh, yeah, man, I can open up the app. I can see that I lost in well, week one. You just announced you won, so. <laughs> I know, I should probably apologize for that. Are we starting Zach Moss this week? Uh, I'm not. Are the Colts, or is that what you're asking? Is Michael Pittman a good play? I'd flex him in. What did Pittman have? Eight for 90-something? Mm-hmm. Eight That's for 97. Touchdown. Eight for 97 on touchdown? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is... Outside of Josh Downs, the only guy that's going to get volume throws his way and probably the only one that's going to do something with him. I think Houston stinks, guys. This I think is their why... offensive line stinks. Um, yeah, I, I don't... I think the Colts go down there and win. Well, we said that last year, and they tied them in week one, so... And that was really a miracle tie. I mean, weren't they down three scores at one yeah, point? Yeah, it was like yeah. a 20-point deficit. EJ had the I know Hot Rod missed the field goal, but like they were getting their 
But and KB, so I must long. say that was the weirdest locker room. Just knowing that they hadn't won or lost, and then knowing that me again, first game on the beat, last game I'll see you know, uh, uh, Blankenship. Yeah, <laughs> I remember walking in there thinking, "Wow, that guy just lost his job," and that was that was tough. That was weird. So we'll see what happens. They go down there this year, but I do think, like you said, they're not a good team. And to me, this is where we'll get a good gauge of you know coaching and those types of things because when the talent level is where it is in Houston, you cannot go winless against Houston again this year, in my opinion. It's wild to think that current, both honestly, currently right now. If you look at the Colts, they have won one of their last eight AFC South games. I mean, we're talking the AFC South, and you've won one divisional game in your last eight. Took a walk-off touchdown to do it. (laughs) That dates back to the Jacksonville season finale when you had to win and get in with Carson Wentz. You didn't do it last year. The only divisional game that you won was that home game against the Jags and then, of course, lost to Jacksonville on Sunday. So, I know this season is not about wins and losses, um, but boy, it kind of is in these situations though. Yeah, I mean these yeah. are ones that just you got to yeah. send a message to this division of can you imagine if the Colts have been in the AFC East over the last year plus or the AFC North or the AFC West? I mean, we're talking about the lowly AFC South here and they've won one of their last eight. James Boyd, thank you for taking the call out of the bullpen late last night. Uh, you'll be with us tomorrow, right? Yes, I will. We'll see if I can get my batting average up. But for the most part, I think I did all right. <laughs> great work. Great work per usual. Mark Dykton and I will round out the week on Friday. Shout out to the Sweeney family. Andy and his wife. Sounds like things are still progressing. So fingers crossed everything's smooth for them as they welcome their first baby into the world. Everybody have a great Wednesday.